everyone. Welcome to the Nevermore Podcast. We talk more about the Nevers. I am Leon here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, man. How about you? I am flabbergasted, stunned, <laughs> amazed, mm-hmm. floored. Uh, insert uh, words, verbs, adjectives, whatever. I- insert it all here. I am. Uh, I'm kind of blown away by this hour of television. We have not talked about it at all, as usual. We have. Uh, watched it separately we've gotten on here we've not shared each other's thoughts spencer i want to hear right from you initial take what did you think of this wallop of an episode here episode six this is a similar trick to what joss bladen played on dollhouse and though i found what we learned interesting though i found it fascinating it came far too late in this show and far too much here packed into the end for me to fully appreciate what could have else been done with it so did i like it I liked aspects of it. I liked learning, seeing a little bit more behind the curtain. I liked some of the new world that we're now having to explore, but I definitely didn't like the means of kind of just putting it here at the very end as a means of revealing all that. Well, it's not the very end. I mean, it's only halfway through season one. Um, <laughs> season two, second half has not been announced as a start date yet. Yeah, we're get, but we're getting that. We we don't know if we're getting season two, but we'll get the the additional six episodes. But. Um, so I guess, all right, so it sounds like you are much more tepid on this and maybe it might be of, um, a sort of function of you've seen more Joss Whedon stuff than I have. So maybe this script has been played before on other shows. I haven't really seen it. So this big reveal episode that we got here, where we're doing a lot of flashbacks and we're basically just figuring out Amalia. That is what this episode is to me. Very much so. Um, I thought was a, a wallop of an episode. I was kind of floored by it. I thought it was a lot to take in. It was extremely difficult to follow for the first 30 minutes. <laughs> Even the language. Um, yeah, very tough. And so uh, I'm guessing a lot of folks have come here to try to make some sense of it. So we are going to do that for you. But first, we have a few things we want to talk about. One is, uh, you know, I continue to say it. I ring the bell every week. Folks, the podcast continues to grow. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you are listening, you're enjoying it, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can always go to mangumtalks.com as well and leave comments. Any of the comments, I will read. I read every comment. promise you. Hand up every comment. Spencer does not read every comment. I do, however, curate them and send him important ones, and we talk about it on the show. So if you are interested, you want to share your comments, your theories, just anything, go to mangumtalks.com. Let us know. Now, we have talked about this is going to be a break. This is... Six episodes in, we are now at a break of Neversmore. Mm-hmm. So if you are without sans things to watch and you are looking for something to watch, Spencer and I, we are podcast professionals. We are continuing not on this podcast feed, though. We have another podcast feed that we are starting. It's called The Lasso Lowdown, where we are going to review episode by episode Ted Lasso. It's an Apple Plus television series. Big change of pace from, Nevers, <laughs> Just a from the Nevers. I'm not going to tell you it's the same thing, but if you're looking mm. for something breezy, fun, maybe something uplifting, make you feel good. Ted Lasso is the way to go. And if you're watching it and you want to hear me and Spencer gab about it, you can go to the Lasso Lowdown where we'll have a lot of fun. And we have one other podcast we want to um, tell you about. I don't think we've ever talked about it here on the Neversmore podcast feed. And it is a podcast that Spencer runs. I'm going to kick it over to him to let you know about it. I decided with a few friends a couple years back that we honestly missed reading together, given that we all live in different states and different cities and are far apart with our own different work schedules and time zones. So setting up a bit of a digital book club sounded like a great idea, and we've kept it going for a couple years now, where week by week, one of us recommends a particular book, a particular series, or even genre, that we're then going to talk about and discuss the next week. We invite our listeners to come in and listen and read it with us, to offer their questions, their comments, things they want us to discuss, and we talk about them on the podcast. We have a lot of fun with it. We've explored all kinds of different genres of literature over the last couple of years we've done this. And honestly, it's been quite a blast. And we hope our listeners enjoy it, too. 
And that's called Mangum Reads. That's its mm-hmm. own podcast feed. You can go to Mangum Reads and check out the book club. Spencer's on that one. I'm not on that one. I was on one episode of that one. I didn't read the book. They didn't invite me back. You so, read the Wikipedia page, uh, and we very much appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but they have, a, they have a lot of fun on that pod, and it's really good, so check it out. But if you're, you're wanting to hear me and Spencer continue to gab, Lasso Lowdown, we're reviewing Ted Lasso. We're going to enjoy it. But the issue at hand here, what we have to talk about today, Spencer, is episode six mm-hmm. called True. And we, I guess we've given our initial reactions. Anything else you want to talk about before we jump into the recap? No, it's going to be very fascinating to discuss this in any organized fashion because it's just throwing you in media rest for about the first 35 minutes of this and to the degree to which you're able to understand what's going on is, well, that's based on you. Okay, so typically what we would do with a recap is we would just kind of walk you through the recap and as reveals happen we would talk about the reveals as they go i think if we just go through a recap without doing any sort of preemptive explanation of what's going on it's going to be very confusing so i want to start the recap with just an explanation from my perspective of what's going on here spencer you jump in correct me if i screw something up so This episode is really a revealing of Amalia. We have gotten all of these hints. <laughs> you about call her Amalia. Amalia. Well, Amalia, Molly, whatever you want to call her. Um, Zephyr, perhaps. Zephyr, her, which we got at the end. We, we got four different names for her as we went through this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we, it's a revealing episode for her. So there's, sure. there's chapters, and the chapters line up with who she was at specific periods, what her, na- who her, what her name was what vessel she was in, what time period she was in. And we go through those different periods and it's a, it's a revealing backstory of her. We kind of pause the main narrative of the show. We don't, you know, where we ended last time with Malady is Kaiser Sose, woo, and she's walking out and Mm -hmm. we've got our band of troops who went to go see the Galanthi who are just dust riddled and, and, you know, obviously had, had just been in a big adventure that timeline really doesn't progress in this episode. We go backwards and we do some explanation. Just a tiny so, bit at the end, and that's it. Now, yeah, and so now we're going to start with uh, chapter one, which is called Stripe. Now, this is what uh, Amalia was called uh, when she was in this vessel. So I think when you're watching, I'm kind of struggling here because I don't really know how to explain this, but I think when you're watching this, the first time, at least for me, I did not know who this character was, this sort of older lady that mm-hmm. we're following um, called Stripe as we go through it. Now, I believe now that I've watched the whole thing and I've watched it twice now and tried to piece it all together and I've got my, my homeland, you know, you, strings of yarn <laughs> on the cork board and I'm going okay, all yep. crazy. I think that this character uh, is is the Amalia that we see. She, yes. She, that's her original state, or at least a, an original state from her. She, and she, she was progresses Claudia, from there. She was Claudia Black in the future. Yeah, and, and, she, the and then she progresses uh, as she goes. I got like um, Frances McDermott vibes from that actress, by the way. Did you like the kind of? I've seen some stuff, but like I'm, I'm still got a punch to throw, you know. Yeah, she's a great actress. She's done a lot of great things. Done a lot of great voice acting too. I know her from Farscape and Star and Stargate, which honestly has felt a little bit closer to the first half of this episode than the Nevers really has. Man, you've watched a lot more TV than me, man. You, you just dropped some references there. I got whoo right over the head. More things to watch in the future, but it, it's. It, in many ways, this confirms some theories that we were throwing out earlier. If we were debating, oh my god, is she an alien? And we kind of offered the theory, no, no, she's probably a future human. And and that's, yeah, that seems to be the case. She's a future human. Galanthi, very much an alien. Yes. And it seems as though the Galanthi um, used, have, has, have used her in some way to move her 
um, through time periods. And that's what we get uh, at the end of chapter one, I believe. So with that in mind, as, as we're going through the recap and we're talking about Stripe, the mm-hmm. lady sh- Stripe here, which that it, is O.G. Amalia. I'm going to call her O.G. Amalia. Which it seems to be that that name is interesting. Cause we don't actually hear any of the actual names of these characters that are in this future setting until we learn mm-hmm. Amalia Zephyr's name at the very end of this episode. Stripe appears to be a rank. It appears to be like a right. stripe of a sergeant kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, it seems like these little little units have a stripe. Everybody yes. has a stripe, and they're missing one, and they kind of pick her up and co-opt her uh, mm-hmm. for about twelve seconds before the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> now, um, what what else do we need to talk about here? Uh, I think it's important to note that um, this is in the, this is a long time ago, right? Well, lo- this long is time a ways ago. Do you think it's in the future? No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's in the future, mm-hmm. and she comes back. It seems as though she comes back. So this is in the future, and and uh, and she comes back with the help of the clan. Yeah. Essentially, this is a blasted, horrific, apocalyptic future where the Earth is a nuke blasted wasteland. As a result of it, it seems to be a ongoing war that maybe have even been occurring before the Galanthi arrived between the Free Life Army and the PDC, PDC, the, Plan- the Planetary Defense Coalition. Um, these factions appear to be planetary defense coalition has a kind of all the hallmarks of like a UN kind of organization, a kind of group collected that swarmed together for the sake of trying to keep some level of organized society going and use the Galanthi for a popular purpose. And the free life army sounds like a bit of, uh, hyper-violent reactionaries to a certain degree. Yeah. So it seems to me that the, the big conflict right now that we're seeing in this future state um, between the PDC and the Free Life Army is what to do about the Galanthi because the Galanthi clearly are another species and they have opened a portal to come to that period. And it looks like the PDC, or at least allies of the PDC, befriended the Galanthi, had worked with them, had set up this little station to to interact with them and do some like scientific experiments, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And they were attacked by the Free Life Army who are scared of the Galanthi, want to close the portal, and shut it off. Absolutely agree. Perfect summary. It seems like the Free Life Army is working from a very kind of Christian maybe mindset, given the amount of various gospel and God references they were making as part of the reasons for what they're doing. So there may be an element of human first mentality associated with that. But one thing that makes it ambiguous is that the Galanthi didn't arrive at like, you know, an earth that was pristine and then aimed to hell. They arrived at an earth that had already lost 5 billion people. Making yes. it ambiguous to what degree the war, the uh, this had just been some other apocalypse that had already been ongoing, maybe some ecological collapse or something along those lines, or to which they arrived in the middle of a war that had already began. Now Not we have clear. some, we have well, we have some clues about what that future state is, and and so all of them had never really seen a plant before. Yes. So I think that we can infer that that we've basically destroyed Earth, and Earth is almost unlivable. And what the PDC, or at least um, the PDC and some of their allies, were thinking is that the Galanthi could come and help, because obviously the Galanthi have massive powers and could assist with this. Free Life Army wants none of it. They view it as um, rolling the dice that they do. They don't want to play the game. And it seems like that the PDC had set up projects with the Galanthi in the past to engage in this kind of terraforming or at least world rebuilding in certain isolated locations. And the Free Life Army bombed and destroyed every one of those sites that originally they think there were 20 Galanthi that arrived on the planet and at least 19 of them are now gone. There may only be one left. And so when you're hearing both in this scene and other scenes, and then you can think of past episodes, specifically from Amalia, when you hear this concept of hope, 
I think now we have a reframe of what that hope means. And mm -hmm. it is to change what that future state that we saw where Earth has been destroyed, 5 billion people are dead, Earth is unlivable, um, to try to change that in some way through, uh, you know, going back in time, but then also the power of the Galanthi and working with the Galanthi. So now you're a spore, everybody listening, mm -hmm. drop the spore from the alien spaceship. It's in your brain now. We've, un <laughs> we've unlocked that part of your brain. Sure. You're ready yeah. to go. You're fired up. You're and it's time for the recap. You're emphatically enhanced, to use the term they keep repeating on this. <laughs> All right. We start with a ship coming into view with people being dropped out in parachutes. Some sort of firefights going on here. And we hear over a loudspeaker, give up your arms, give up your uh, blasphemous fight and join the free life army we are marauders we are god's men so this is kind of playing over and over again and mm -hmm. you know when you have a battle sometimes like you have that sort of like speaker a battle cry yeah. so, kind of break the will of the enemy psychological warfare yeah and we see a group of folks who are uh, in some sort of army dressed in fatigues with guns and they're talking to each other about a point of entry trying to get into somewhere mm -hmm. and they're shot at we see two women both hiding out fighting one throws up these weird little orb looking things glazers um, they're called or coolant yeah. pods and what we learned yeah exactly what we learned later is basically there's tide pods in this future and you can <laughs> you can swallow the tide pod don't swallow the tide pods to basically become um, a possum they call it possuming where you you lose all body heat and so it looks like you're dead it looks mm -hmm. like you're not a living thing and so you don't show up on scans etc etc and that is how the character that we know as amalia who is stripe at this point in the episode mm -hmm. has survived considering the fact that all of this free life army is everywhere and basically what's happening is that these folks with the pdc this different unit have showed up have found her mm -hmm. um she she vomited up the Tide Pods. Now she's got the heat index going again. And she sort of joined their little band here in the firefight against the um, Free Life Army. Yeah, it's pointedly not explained how she got there, other than that she arrived from a different location, apparently from, from Scotland, that she isn't a seemingly non-commissioned officer, Stripes, the way I'm interpreting that. And the other company, which is there under specific orders from command, lost theirs as part of arriving for the mission. The mission seems to be is that there are signs there may be a Galanthi here and both factions are trying to do something about it in their own unique ways. Yep, one's trying to talk to it, PDC, uh, protect it, deal with it. They think it's the future. It can ha it can help Earth, make it habitable again. Other side, Maybe. close that portal, shut it off, want nothing to do with it. And, um, and, then they, yeah, go ahead. And it seems like the Free Life Army arrived in much greater force than the PDC has, given that we hear from Stripes that as many as 20 landed a little bit ago. <laughs> And I think we're meant to think that in this war, the Free Life Army has more. They've got yeah. more resources, more soldiers, and they're winning. Mm -hmm. they're, um, they, you know, they control yeah. history, as one character puts it at one point. And, but our little band of PDC soldiers who have now picked up uh, Francis McDermott and uh, who's vomited <laughs> up the Tide Pods, um, they take an older guy hostage. They do take a guy hostage. They grab somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and then we get poof, poof, smash cut and strangely, chapter one, stripe. Which is an interesting thing if we've never seen that kind of organization and formatting before. First time in this episode to see that kind of in-episode structure. So here's my thought. We, on this very podcast, have complained about the credits over and over again. And I posited that somebody at HBO is listening. I got to think that we did this, Spencer. No. We've started to no. index it in chapters because of our complaints. I got to think so. I, I, don't I think adore it's your inflated sense of self-importance that you assigned to the material we release. <laughs> It did. It was very intriguing, though, right? It was. When that flashed up as I, chapter one, Stripe, it, I, I was locked in, even though I had no idea what was going on. 
but I, it was a very interesting way to organize things. It was a fun organization that I wish they'd used in earlier episodes and kept it consistent rather than just suddenly appearing now. Because it's a fun way of structuring this. It, it gives it a, it gives it a, <laughs> a much better sense of where we are as we go. Yeah. Uh, then we see some folks in a dark room. They look like soldiers. Flashlights out, guns up. Um, mm -hmm. Little halo thing here. They're clearing the room. Uh, and as the group enters the room, they seem excited that there is heat. Uh, so the group has a prisoner, and that's important. Keep that in mind. They have this prisoner. Mm -hmm. So I think the group uh, is the PDC, and the group they're fighting against, which the prisoner uh, is a part of, is the free life. And when they get in, uh, they need to get to the op. They want to get to the operating system of whatever they're in. So they're trying to get to basically like the mainframe computer of whatever this little station is. Mm -hmm. And so they send a little um, uh, Roomba to do it. They've got a little it's a mouse Roomba. pot, yeah. And uh, the prisoner says they were tracking the special spatial anomaly. Mm-hmm. Same as them. This is what the prisoner is saying. So he's saying, we're, we were tracking the spatial anomaly just like you, which is what we think the Galanthi is. So that's to your point, Spencer. They were both after the Galanthi. That's why they both showed up here. Right. And luck, luckily for our team that's here, uh, Claudia Black or Francis McDermott, as you're calling her, showed up first and apparently killed more than half of them before the rest of the team even hit ground. See why I'm calling her Francis McDermott? She's elbowing people, kicking ass. <laughs> Uh, one of the group responds that it was the Free Life Beacon that tagged this place. Quote, I don't know if they got inside. Uh, the group is referring to each other by boot. So that's another. This is So here's the thing, folks. Mm -hmm. um, we have a completely different scene, a completely different time, completely different characters organized <laughs> in a completely different way. Yeah. And if that's not confusing enough, the characters refuse to call each other by names. So we don't get any names. We get no. boot one and boot two and that and stripe. And that's about the best you get. Meaning that they are the low-level grunt privates. We get Stripe, who, you know, non-commissioned officer of some variety. And we get Knitter, is another one we get, who is the, the medic. Yeah, and I would, by the way, Knitter, if you didn't catch that name, uh, you probably weren't watching it on subtitles. Because that's how I got the name anyway. Because they kept preempting <laughs> everything she said with Knitter. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we don't get the name. So it, it is an all-around confusing scene. Well, and, and even the language that the characters use is not grounded in our present sense of the English language. It is using all kinds of words and terminology without any preface, any degree of explanation. There are no little, you know, uh, reading Shakespeare explanations that appear next to the words as they're going through this. We are just along for the ride. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's realistic, obviously, right? Sure. Your language would evolve, but it does make it even, you're just adding layers and layers of confusion to the scene. Now, there is one word that they, they throw out there, a future word that I'm going to co-opt, I'm going to start using, I'll get to that. Mm. So back to the recap, the group is referring to each other by boot, um, and one guy says, second boot, tape his mouth. So um, the, the prisoner who keeps yapping, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna gag him. Um, who notably uses his name. Unlike all of the other characters. He introduces he himself, even, as major something, something or other. Some break, break, yep. Breaks protocol with this group, and then he announces his name. Major Joseph Willing Greenbone. Mm. Uh, free life for life. Mm. Free life for life. And for he's... life. NWO. Anyway, wrestling. Um, we do not hide from God <laughs> like you PDC dogs. It's no notable that he has the first southern accent we've seen on this show. And of course, there's a southern accent. Right? Of course, it is. Yeah. Um, the, the the fucking jackasses who wants to kill the aliens is the southern. Accent. We are the new British of a generation of villains, sir. It's yeah, okay. Probably, probably came from my neighborhood growing up. Um, <laughs> another boot on comms says, "Quote: We are the Planetary Defense Commission (PDC). We are taking shelter here. We have not come to fight, but we are armed, and we will respond as greeted." So he is announcing to anything that might be in this facility that they're there. They don't really want to fight, but hey, you come at me, you best not miss. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> Good line. So they're talking about, uh, they're, they're just talking to anyone who might be there. So then as they're looking around, they find Stripe, who was apparently possuming, hiding her heat. Mm-hmm. They note that her body temp must have been completely nil. So mm-hmm. what she did here, um, it, it, while it, it is something that's done in the future, the way she did it was particularly dangerous. That's what we're meant to know, is that she went lower with her body temp in a um, in a lower body temp area, I think, than than maybe is is normal. So they were they were kind of like uh, aghast at what she'd done here. Sure, because it's going to have long term health effects, which, as we see several times with this character, she is utterly indifferent to. Yeah, she didn't care. At that point, the Roomba turns the lights on in the whole house, um, and one of the boots then talks to the stripe. Um, you swallowed coolant pods. The heat change will shred your organs if you don't relax. So the person who said this looks like maybe of uh, Indian descent, maybe mm-hmm. uh, one of the boots talking to well, Stripe. Isn't that, These isn't two that characters. I think that's yeah, knitter. yeah. There you go, Knitter. There you go, Knitter. Yeah, we, we yeah. It's we don't find out it's Knitter here, but you wait. That's Knitter. And um, these are the two that talk the most. Yes. Uh, in this in this whole scene. Um. The boot asks her if her stomach is coated. She nods and she asks for fiend. Now, fiend, morphine, mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's a drug. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so our Frances McDermott is is after after a high. She wants she wants something right now. Give it to me in the vein. The boot refuses. She says she'll never level if she's zoned. Zone must be high. So this is to your point, Spencer. There is a lot of trying to figure out the terminology going on here. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're with you. We're, we're, we're plug, we're plowing through and, and where we find these words where, um, you kind of need a translation. We'll try to do it for you. Yeah. Hold your hippogriffs. We'll get it on it. Uh, oh, nice reference. The team seems to verify that they are alone, uh, which seems wrong to them. They, uh, and, and why does it seem wrong to them, Spencer? Cause I, I think they're thinking there's a glanthy there, right? They think that there's a glanthy yet. They think that's why they're here. Yeah, that that was why because they were saying that well this is wrong and and I my thought was they're saying this is wrong because they thought there was a glanty there. Well, it, it seemed like they thought this was going to be a, a more established base or that there'd be someone there to greet them or there'd be something here rather than what seems to be just an abandoned premise with seemingly nothing in it. That okay, so you were thinking the confusion about that was maybe that um, other maybe free life people or other legacy PDC people would be there, not necessarily they were looking for the glanty. Well, I think that they were looking for Galanthi, and they expected something to be here around it, to the point they even broadcast themselves, saying that, hey, we're here, we're stepping in, we don't want to mess with you, but we're here. So okay, they're, I see your point. They're yeah. here on a mission for a Galanthi. Whether they think it's in this building or not, they don't know. They're camping out, and they, fi- they find more as they go deeper into it. Uh, they asked the Stripe to call Colors. Um, I guess that's like, tell you, tell me that kind of your resume, where you're from. They ask what her pride is. Pride, I think, is the little unit that they're in. Yeah. So I keep saying that they, they've got this unit, one of which is a stripe, right? They're missing their stripe and they pick her up. They're picking her up within that pride. Mm-hmm. She says she's 41st ground out of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, they, when one of the boots comments, no one got out of Edinburgh. She says three of them did. Two died on the walk down. One of the boots says their stripe got taken out. I guess we can use her if she's mission fit. The other boot says they need to get her regulated first. Again, she's coming out of this like hibernated state. She's all over the place. And question on that point. The fact that she said walk down and the fact that the series is set in London, are we to believe that this is the blasted future landscape of London? Yeah, uh, that's that's how I took it, yeah. Just making sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, she was, so she was possum him out there. Also, there's a bullet in the, the leg of the other boot. Now, one thing um, 
so in the future, folks, bad news, um, you can't plant plants, and apparently it's hard to get food, and uh, it's hard to live. Mm -hmm. Good news is if you get shot, we got a little device that can take care of it. Um, so she wants to take Stripe out to the sick bay, both to help regulate Stripe, but also to deal with her gunshot wound. Mm -hmm. They say that while this happens, they're going to try to contact command. I guess their command, the pride, uh, whoever sent the pride on this mission. Sure. One of them comments to the strike that they've never seen anyone possum in this cold. So that's, a, again, they're sort of marveling at what Frances McDermott here did. Mm -hmm. um, she says she didn't have a choice. 20 free life marauders were coming. Uh, one of the guys who I guess is like more of their like radar guy says, well, our scanners only showed eight. And she said, I had an hour. So um, certified badass. Certified badass. First small clue. We might be dealing with our girl Amalia. Yeah. Cut to the sick bag and Stripe takes something, um, but she then, uh, when she takes it, I don't know if you noticed this, they did the same little camera jag sequence that we get when Amalia has one of the Ripplings. And I think this character even indicates at some point here is that she's not always certain that where she is is when she is or that this moment is real. She's fluctuating in reality too, it seems. So the Amalia like entity soul thing that that is transferring here, right, that we see between the characters, between the chapters, always has this rippling ability, it appears. It appears to have become far stronger or more pronounced over time, given her how disconcerted she is with it when she goes back in time to, you know, Victorian London. But there's always been a bit of an element of it. Um, Knitter, that's right, right? Knitter, yeah. that's what we're calling her, uh, says that Stripe was lucky being where she was, um, which I mean, I guess what she means is you're, you're lucky we found you. Mm -hmm. um, Stripe says she didn't feel so lucky. They have some back and forth about Stripe taking Fiend and if that's a good idea. Knitter tells her she's popping glazers, um, tells her that popping glazers is not playing dead, it's practicing. So again, um, you know, you were you were playing with fire there, Amalia. Um, I've called this lady like six different things. Here, so does the episode. Go on ahead. So, so I'm sorry, folks. Try to stick with me. Uh, it's kind of how my, I'm, I'm kind of tipping my cards how my brain works as I'm trying to recap this thing. Mm. So I guess um, what she did to Possum was pretty wild. Knitter then asked her what her pit said level is. Quote, too high to make crescent, too high to go home. This is what uh, Stripe replies with. Um, not quite sure what to take with that line. During the sequence, Knitter gives her an inhaler, and Stripe takes a massive hit and has to be stopped. So Stripe, or, uh, Stripe here is, um, uh, I would say, has some addictive uh, behavior yeah, yeah, elements. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. First thing she says is, give me Fiend, and then you give her an uh, inhaler, and she's just like going to take the whole Downs thing. it. Yeah. Everyone, um, it, this is a quote uh, from from Stripe, everyone has Pitt said, I got the most. Knitter asks her if she gets temporals or flashbacks, and Stripe says, quote, I'm not even sure this is now. So this is what you're talking about, where she says, yeah, I get these things and I really don't know what to do with them. Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're clearly um, sequences of either the past or the future and they just kind of hit me. That's the the rippling. Mm -hmm. Great. Your mission fit. You got a jar me. Jar is apparently using some contraption to deal with a gunshot wound. Again, this is the good news, everybody, that you in the future we can deal with gunshot wounds. Yeah, little it Alexa looks things. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a little like uh, handheld device that you just stick on the, the the bullet wound, you press a button, and it hurts a little bit, and bang, mm. you're fixed. Um, knitter to stripe, uh, you're going to ask me what the mission is? Question uh, mark. You're looking for a galanthi. This is what Stripe says. Stripe uses the contraption to presumably deal with the leg, and while Knitter seems out of commission, Stripe whoop skips a few vowels. 
And that fiend <laughs> sticks it in her coat. Looks mm-hmm. looks pretty smooth. I thought she had it. Thought she had it. Knitter, who are you? Stripe my name. That's a little forward. I was married for three years and never told either of them. So a lot going on in that sentence. Yeah, names are. They even referred to them as a sacred thing at various points in, the, in, in this this part of the episode. So none of these characters know each other's names, and they're not inclined to share them other than on the moment of their deathbed. We also learned three things. Uh, Stripe was married. She was married for three years, and I guess divorced or uh, widowed, and married to multiple people. Yeah. <laughs> so again, big sentence. Mm-hmm. Stripe then questions what the hell is going on. Quote, come on, fighting over a side post in the middle of nothing because you saw a spatial anomaly, which means a portal, which is how the Galanthi came here. I figure Command saw the Free Life Beacon, lost their shit, sent your pride in because they were close and you are a spore. Pause. Beat. Beat. Can I have my fiend back? So, um, and the stripe says, fuck, like she's caught. So I think using the term spore, um, first off, I think she hit on a lot of truth. Yeah. She correctly um, deduced what this mission is and why they're there. Absolutely. And, and she, by, she basically called the, called bullshit and said, look, this is what's going on here. This is why you were sent here. And oh, by the way, you're a spore. Spore, by the way, is when you have the little spore thing, boom, comes in your head and it releases, I guess, part of your your brain so that you can understand Galanthi language or Galanthi technology. So, going forward, unless you have any objections, uh, mm-hmm. Senator, we are going to equate spore with touched. I re- I reject your notion, sir. I wish to bring it to oral argument briefly, if I, if I may. Go. As we find out later in this episode, spore and touched are not synonymous because they are expressing themselves differently. The touched are a unique thing that our Claudia Black, whatever stripe, whatever character you want to call her, has not seen before until she traveled back into the past. She specifically assigns them as being a different means by which the Galanthi appears to be expressing itself as compared to the spore. The spore seem to be very much in the idea of leaders, those that identify things that need changing, that have problems that need to be addressed in society, and assume that role so as to bring about the change that needs to occur. The touched don't have that level of, what was it, emphatic understanding? Emphatically enha- emphatic enhancement. At least not that she can clearly deduce. Maybe, maybe not. This is an implication of their episode. But though they seem to be in the same category of what event causes them to be as they are, it seems to express itself so remarkably differently that I think the two different names are appropriate. I will reserve my later time for a battle. Uh, okay, I mean, I guess we can, I guess I see your point, which is the touch that we see in current events, um, the, what happened when the spore came to them, it has, it is, it's different. It's, it's, um, uh, what happened, what the Galanthi did to them is, is markedly different than what we're seeing with the spores. But what my, my overall point is, mm-hmm. is that they, the Galanthi gave the little spore thing to both of them and unlocked part of their brain in some sort of like intelligent way. It's a different type of unlocking. They're doing different things, but it's the same process. That's exactly, that's exactly what I was going to agree with you on. The end result, distinctly different, at least from our main character's perspective, but the process of, well, I'll just agree with you and call it sporing, appears to be roughly identical from what we're hearing described. Okay. Uh, and so the um, boot, uh, who is Knitter, says, and the term is emphatically enhanced. Spore is a little rude. Mm-hmm. Back to Stripe. Yeah, but only a spore would call me on it. Um, so we've had the spore equals touched argument. That's that's a lot of my notes here. Knitter says, the spores are translators. They, this is a great, by the way, potential line of the episode right here. Great, mm. great line. It's a very revealing line. Knitter says, the spores are translators. They activate parts of the mind needed to comprehend Galanthi language and tech. Not that I can. 
I've never even seen one. So mm-hmm. um, big line there because uh, I think it explains the spores, but um, in a in a potentially not a, not a completely comprehensive way, but it does somehow describe, I think, a little bit of the touch, what's going on with the touch. Yeah, and it describes this remarkable purpose for why they do this. Effectively, this sporing process is meant to create points of contact for an alien race that's arriving on a planet that otherwise would know nothing about them and have no way to even establish a means of relationship with them. So it kind of so, makes sense to drop little translation devices all over, the, all, all over as you go and turn people into, effectively, diplomats between races. See how we're spored right here? We're spored, Spencer, because we understand. So the, we understand what happened in that scene, right? Because the ship is coming in, the Galanthi is coming to this time, this part of Earth, and it's dropping those spores so that there is some way to connect with mm-hmm. certain people. So but that it, some people will understand certain things about it or whatever. And the, the best example is Myrtle with language and... Um, penance with technology and then marry with the song though as we see zephyr amalia claudia black francis mcdermott debate at the end of this episode it didn't go as it should have it seems like it went a little bit off or wrong or this galanthic is a different plan here than what was usually done in the past mm-hmm. as they start looking around the room they start questioning what the guys were building apparently they see some artifacts from the victoria era maybe hint, early hint, 20th hint hint hint, hint. hint. We're starting to connect things. Mm-hmm. Uh, knitter, are those sim stripes? Stripe, a boatload. Interesting. Apparently, everyone else in their group can deal with that. Uh, he lives in sim, not just the fuck tech. Uh, so this is just some back and forth talking about the certain characters. Stripe, uh, please tell me he's not Virgin. Um, I think that means um, like religious or something um, because she goes on to say all that flesh is evil crap. Seemingly, yeah, given how that character acts later in the episode, I think. Exactly. So they basically have somebody in their pride who has some free life sympathies. Mm He's Virgin. Flesh is evil crap. Stripe starts to question what is going on. Every Galanthi project is huge. Pure water systems, tectonic stabilizers. I want to pause there because I think (laughs) what we're getting is we're starting to get some clues that, at least from a certain perspective, there is a belief that the Galanthi are trying to make things better wherever they go. So mm-hmm. when they have a big project, it, like, think about, look at the examples we got. Pure yeah. water systems, tectonic stabilizers to potentially, you know, stabilize tectonic plates, hopefully make Earth more habitable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, or whatever planet they're on, well, stabilize yeah. tectonic plates, you make it more habitable. So I think that the concept here is that these guys are doing good. Their, their projects are big in scope and they help. They certainly have been used in that manner in the past, yes. And that, the, yeah. further thing, just the fact that the fact that she mentions tectonic stabilization again just shows how fucked this planet is. If we've literally shattered the crust to the point that we need that to be able to, you know, function and operate. Assuming we're talking about this planet, you know. I, I am assuming yeah. this is Earth. Yes, but given that yeah, they, they, it, they said Edinburgh. No, no, no. I mean, I, I mean, she's saying every Galanthi project is huge. Pure True. water systems, tectonic True. stabilizers. It could have been the tectonic stabilizers on another planet, but we're on Earth now. Um, but either way, you know, I think that there is um, this pride and this group thinks that the Galanthi do good things. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. Lee's going to put his hand up. I think I believe that. I think I'm in the, the Galanthi boat right now. Galanthi fan. Print the t-shirts. Right there with the Frank Mundy t-shirts. Drinking the Kool-Aid, sir. Drinking the Kool-Aid. Yep. I believe in the aliens. Bring them to me. Come on. E.T. <laughs> uh, phone home. None of these are happening. Uh, it's a quote. Free life bombed every site. Killed them. Killed them all? Weren't there 
20 Galanthi, how many of them are still alive? Maybe one, maybe more. So the free life folk are attacking the Galanthi who are up to something, maybe have some sort of project, and the PDC is trying to stop the free folk, free folk, free life folks. <laughs> Wrong show. <laughs> from doing it, uh, which I presume they're on the side of the Galanthi. So uh, that's kind of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Off in the distance, second boot. I know it's second boot because I was watching on uh, subtitles and it said second boot. Mm-hmm. Uh, screams, fuck, heat. So what that means is there's something alive here. We Dear seen, God. We, we, there's something alive. We're freaking out. So they think somebody else is on board. Stripe runs to where the guys are. They seem very scared. One of them said, is that the Galanthi? So I, I think a little bit of inside joke for all of us. We're, we're all still wondering what the hell the Galanthi is. <laughs> Uh, Stripe says they need to move slowly. They don't want to wake this thing up. And then we see a, a Click. smile. On, we see a smile on Stripe's face as she turns the lights on. She knows what she did. She's just fucking with them. Um, she says, damn, those kids are gray. Spencer's gray means stupid. I, gray that means stupid or it means like really, really naive, not knowledgeable, ignorant. What Something in that category. You don't want to be gray in this world. Yeah. She's just saying, damn, those kids are gray. Why? Because when she turns the lights on, it's a garden. Mm-hmm. I think I saw some pepper plants, and I think I saw a tomato plant. That's what I saw. What does our main character take a big-ass bite out of? Because it looks, looks like, like it to look like a tomato. It looked like a tomato that she's eating like an apple, so kudos. She seems to quite enjoy it. you never done that? I've never eaten a tomato like an apple before, no. Okay, if you ever do it, put some salt on it. Mm. Um, Stripe takes a bite of said fruit. Uh, uh, we're getting some biblical stuff here. Mm, just a bit, biting, just a bit. Biting knowledge, fruit, yes. She's not mm-hmm. supposed to bite. Yep, knowledge. Spe- especially fruit. one of the characters behind her says, don't eat that. <laughs> Immediately after and she, she gives it. a little knowing look like, well, I've already done oh, it. Oh, knowing look? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the group pours back into the room and it explains that it's just a garden. Yeah, no, it's just something out of the farmer's daughter, Sim, sitting here in real life. So normal, unusual food made out of actual food. So what that quote is telling us is that this is fucking strange to these guys. Yeah. They're seeing a real garden. They usually have to sim. Like they have to go in a simulation to see this stuff. Now they're actually seeing like a real plant. Well, just the fact that they reacted is, is this the Galanthi? No, it's growing green life that you've only probably heard about in stories. Yeah. Uh, one of the boots tells them not to eat anything yet. And Stripe sort of nods her head because she's already done it. Stripe then notices a door. One of them. And by the way, this door did not show up on their map. So that makes mm. everybody nervous. Um, they walk into the door, look up, and what do they see? They, um, they see the aftermath of Predator. That's what they see. They see the bodies. Hung- yeah. Pretty gruesome. Pretty gruesome. It looks like these bodies were like skinned, maybe? Skinned and hung up to bleed. Ugh, flayed man. Uh, quote, it's the science team. Free life got them. Uh, 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 some response dialogue here free life don't hide their kills mm-hmm. another response this shaft goes way down they were hiding whatever is below us so what they're saying is um this secret door here what they were really hiding is below let's go below mm-hmm. they open another door they take off down a hallway they get to another room everyone's super jumpy they turn on the lights and they have what i'm going to term an alien light fixture at the top of the room? Uh, it's a dome of some variety that appears to have something smushed up against it. Yes. You know how you do like an inset light fixture in the top of your, you know, like if you got like a little like light in your office or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that, a little bigger, alien inside of it. Yeah, with, with, with Cthulhu tentacles sticking out of it with energy beams. Yes. Uh, we can see an eye in it. That kind mm-hmm. of freaks everybody out because they see the eye. They wonder if the bodies were placed... Uh, where they were to feed this thing, but Nitter explains it. No, the Galanthes don't eat... This is a strange, strange phrasing. They don't eat food for blood. 
Um, didn't say anything about flesh or anything, so that was strange. Stripe warns that the thing is encased in bulletproof glass. Any shots, I guess it's not really bulletproof, but it's a type of glass that any shots will just ricochet off. Yeah. So basically, don't shoot it, you idiots. So what do don't they do? Don't shoot it. Yeah. Uh, they hear a noise, as they do. They see a translucent lighted arm come out. Now this is, uh, I guess the Galanti has a way of, I mean, we. so we know as we go f- further into the recap, we know that the Galanti does have a physical form. Mm-hmm. And it can be in that physical form when it feels comfortable. But it also has these little translucent light tentacles that can come out. As I learned from Babylon 5, it's not futuristic omnipotent aliens unless they have energy beam tentacles. It's required. Hmm. Yeah, a little trippy. I agree. Um, so someone panics and starts shooting. Stripe then has a vision, and it's of her fighting hand-to-hand and being pushed down into a puddle. So there's a whoop, rippling. She gets. The prisoner... Oh, I re- this is the, the major here, the, mm-hmm. the prisoner. Our, our country boy, Alabama man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember now, the boys who found this place did get in. They didn't have the firepower to kill a Galanthe, so they improvised. And what's interesting is we... So what the hell happened to this guy's muzzle is the question I have. Well, I thought they put a, a sock in his mouth. Well, what happened here is that when you know the little tentacle beams came out and the two boots opened fire, immediately our main character gets hit and flashes like in three or four different directions at the same time. And one of those flashes is to a moment in the future where now some amount of time has passed and his his gag has been removed, she's injured and being treated, and he's explaining a little bit more of what happened compared to his original story. Oh, is you're saying that there was a jump here? There were a series of jumps that our character went through, including how what some of the events that happened when she originally you know arrived on scene before she even started hiding. But this can't be too long in the future. I mean, they're they're still in this little thing. It's like 30 seconds later. But she also went a couple moments back to the past, too, before then returning to the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of the rippling process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Okay. Um, So they lit the beacon and got... uh, This is still a guy talking. Lit the beacon and got clean in case we send nukes. Mm -hmm. Suggests... um, Someone suggests they kill the shitto. That's the word I want to use. Spencer, I'm using that word from now. Shitto? Yeah, you're a shitto. That's, that's a pretty solid burn. Yeah, let's, it saves let's time. Adopt the, I say we adopt that one. Peter speaks up. No, we are completely off mission here. We were tasked to save the Galanthe. There we go. All right. We got a cute clue is what this pride is doing. They're here to save Galanthe. And you all shot at it and hit one of ours. Mm-hmm. So, because they hit our girl, um, Stripe. She's not one of ours. Uh, don't shrill at a supervisor. So they're a little bickering here. Mm-hmm. We were repelling in advance. It wasn't a fucking advance. It was a handshake. So they're trying to understand the Galanthe. It seems like that's a fucking universal problem across time and space. Everybody's trying to understand the Galanthe. And um, they thought, some people thought, that when the little translucent alien arms came out, it was dangerous. And uh, one of the counter opinions is that it was basically a handshake. They were just trying to greet you. Well, this seems to be the reason that these guys are a little bit better organized. They would have just send, sent Knitter in before anybody else went in. Because she's the one that's kind of designed to, you know, converse and talk and work with the Galanthi, where everybody else has never met one before and appears to be more than a little bit trigger happy when it comes to encountering them. Yeah, it, it's kind of, it, it, that is sort of a, a strange thing, is that this pride is sent here to save the Galanthi. They are part of a group that respects the Galanthi, thinks the Galanthi is their, their hope for a better world. Yet when they come in contact with it, they get trigger happy. It's quite strange. I'm willing to believe it's probably been a while since the PDC even encountered a Galanthi. It seems like that the current state of the world, you know, without Galanthi has been going on a while. 
but shoot at it that mean that tells me that they're not all bought in bought into the overall mission as we see from our one more religious <clears throat> one of the bunch he explicitly even says don't like the galanthi but one of the guys then admits they weren't overly briefed uh, they then wonder about the blood. Why would the free life go through all of that? Stripe speaks up. Torture. She explains that the team was the method because the Galanthi bonded with them, cared for them. It's basic torture protocol. You always do the family first. Kind so of pretty fucked up. Pretty it's fucked up. It's very fucked up, but I think she's right. So what yeah. Nitter is basically saying here is that the free life came in and in order to get to the Galanthi who had protected theirself, um, they tortured the the scientist who had um, developed a relationship with them, which we see a little glimpse of later in the video. Well, it also seems like that they were intentionally torturing the Galanthi with the blood of the people it cared about, too. That they didn't string them up there just for the sake of stringing the, them up. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they were torturing the Galanthi as well. Dropping the blood on it, which is a pretty shitty thing to do. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm not, not, not a fan of the free life, folks. Not at all. What, um, the, the explanation they offer as to why they were doing it is interesting. Where I think it's Nitter even cries, what information were you even trying to get out of it? What are you, why were you trying to do this when she's confronting the Major? And he says something along the lines of, oh, dainty, torture's not about information. It's about hope. Removing the concept of hope. Mm-hmm. Yep. Major didn't, uh, says to Nitter, I would love to know your name. Second boot, how could they get information Glanthi? This yeah. is a point you got to, Major. Oh, Dante torture is not about information about hope. Uh, removing the concept of hope. Nitter speaks up, says they've done all right. We've done all right. <laughs> we're running. Really? We're running. Yeah, this is this is management, right? She's jumping in. Look, guys, we've done all right. Mm-hmm. We're running hot. <laughs> I would agree. They're running hot. But they found the Galanthi, and it is still alive. Major, quote, well, now that's your problem. I called for a full incursion as soon as we met resistance. Basically, I called for backup as soon as I saw you guys. It seems that incursion means nuke, or at least nukes are part of an incursion. So... Yeah, Yeah, we called for, like, and so, and think about how casual nukes were called in into this battle. So this gives you a glimpse of why the Earth is so fucked up in the future, right? Because Mm -hmm. just this little battle between these two, this pride and this little free life group, has called for nukes. Right. So, you know, no, no wonder they haven't seen a tomato plant before. I'm guessing when we arrived out front, it was midday, and it's just that the fires that are constantly burning around the earth have completely blocked out the sun. Hence why it's so damn cold. Hence why, since there's no vegetation, there's no oxygen, the earth is a dead husk. One of the guys speaks up and says, oh, he called for an incursion, so did we. Yeah, yeah, so, wait, hold on. Uh, uh oh yep ours hasn't come they conclude that if a full incursion is coming right above their heads there will be nukes and such they will never get out alive major says they can they just have to close the portal basically we'll call this off mm-hmm. we'll call this whole thing off if you'll kill this fucking galanthi and you will cut this portal off yeah and a lot of people <clears throat> a lot of people will be alive at the end of the day if you do that both sides a lot of people could die here if we don't you know allow us to succeed with the mission that we came here all for a creature that none of you met none of you really even care about so let's consider our options so as confusing as this scene is although i I think we're doing a pretty bang up job of explaining it to you folks there is a trope going on here which is the prisoner who gag him gag him sock him and then he gets the he gets the sock out of his mouth and he starts manipulating everybody why do they even have him as a prisoner honestly at this point i mean it's not like this is a situation where human rights are actively cared about here why do they keeping him ongoing maybe they do care about human rights i don't know maybe they maybe they're trying to 
to, to keep some of that alive. I don't know, but I, I do know that the gag, I, I, I'm back to the gag. We should have gagged this fucking guy because now he's he's gotten in the head of one of the, the people uh, who's probably yeah. a little bit more sympathetic to free life initially, and he's, he's now gotten in this guy's head. This is Herman Goring and his guard kind <clears> of thing, yeah. I'd like to point out that when Major makes this point about like, hey, if you just do this thing, if you just kill the Galanthi, close the portal, I'll be good. We won't be nuking. There won't be this incursion. Uh, we get a little suspenseful music, so we're still getting mm, yes, still the same producer, yes, still the same I, music producers. <laughs> this is what you should feel. <laughs> You're supposed to feel uneasy and scared right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, loyalty. So then, <clears throat> boom! Smash back to the sick bay. Knitter's giving Stripe a plane, so she gives her one. She's uh, got shot. Give her, yeah, give her some morphine, please. Uh, Knitter wonders aloud if it's a bribe. Knitter says she needs her help. Stripe immediately takes the plane to the side of the neck. Stripe, don't play. This is uh this is somebody when you you know you you pass the marijuana joint they don't they don't sit on it it's right in the mouth that's what that's what she did she just grabbed that thing and just jammed it right in her, the side of her yeah. neck uh, don't worry the planetary defense coalition is here she sighs kicks back and lets it sink in what did you expect they were gonna lay down their lives for something that gives them nightmares she's talking about the rest mm-hmm. of the crew here um, Knitter says they know what's at stake. And Stripe wonders exactly what that is. Major says close the portal, but they all thought the portal was closed once the, once the Galanthi gets through. So this is, this is something that's confusing Stripe and probably everybody else there, which is a portal opens for the purpose of the Galanthi to come through. And then it typically closes. Why is this one still open? Is the question. Very good question. Uh, Knitter quote, not this one. It's stable. Command thinks it's what the team we're helping them build. So they, their intel suggests that um, maybe because the team, the science team that we saw strung up and flayed, had developed this relationship with the Galanthi, maybe that's why the portal was open. Maybe that's what they were working on. Very possible. Um, Stripe wonders if they think more Galanthi are coming. Knitter, maybe the 20 were scouts. Maybe the Galanthi are just getting started. This could be where we turn the tide. Do the job the PDC was formed to do. There's still time. No one has to die. This is fun because she has the exact same conclusion that the Major does as to what this portal's purpose is, and they have two entirely different opinions on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. If we get, Yeah, Major, if we could just close the portal... We won't have to deal with the Galanthi anymore. The threat is resolved. We're all going to be okay. It, kick back the netter. If we can just keep the portal open, the Galanthi will come through and they'll save us all. They both think that this is a portal by which more Galanthi are meant to arrive. It's just yes. one thinks this is a full-on alien invasion. The other one says, well, that's kind of a good thing. Yeah, and I'm with that. I'm I, I'm still I'm riding with the Galanthi right now. <laughs> Stripe says, yeah, I feel like someone's going to, basically, the response to no one's going to die. Stripe says, yeah, I feel like someone's going to ominous music again. Cut back to one of the boots who is looking at a video. I love this scene, by the way. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is looking at one of the now deceased science team members recording a report out. And there is a physical Galanthi. There we go. Bang, for we the saw first it. time. We thought this it was is the Galanthi. Sphere. Strange looking thing, but there. So the Galanthi can send out these little energy arms, and it can do it can send out the pods, and the, it yeah. can do all kinds of stuff. But it is a physical being. It is a bipedal, fleshy kind of dinosaur thing with like little tentacle jaw things. Now, usually, we've talked about this on this pod and other pods. Usually, when you see behind the curtain, you see the monster. The reveal often can be deflating, and I don't like it. And I'm like, ah, well, I didn't want to see the thing. Right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've talked about this before in media. 
I thought it was important to see the Galanthi here. I to me that was that was kind of big because I was like, okay, now I can kind of wrap my head around the fact that it actually is a physical being because up until now I didn't really know. I, yeah, I'm actually with, there with you. There's so many times like you know the shark and Jaws, you're better off hiding it for most of the film, maybe reveal it at the very end. Here, the fact that it's kind of off center, it's not directly interacting with our main characters. The fact it's in an audio log, I think, makes it better. Kind of adds to the mystery of it. And I enjoy seeing its interactions with the characters. We don't see it speak. We don't see it front center. It's somebody else talking. But it's so, you know, playful. It's so affectionate. It so wants to hang out with him. It's almost like a... It was fucking with him a little bit. It was like nudging him and stuff. I I just fell in love with the Galanthi right there. I was like, it just hit me right in the heart. It it, did... it does support a more positive Sport. interpretation of them because it just seems like it's friends with him and is, ha- is having fun buddy, buddy buddy style with him. This isn't just some, you know, distant, omnipresent alien that can scarcely interact with the human mind. This is like an overgrown, super intelligent dog that wants to cuddle. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Consider me sport because I uh, I saw this and I thought... You are yeah, so no down with the Galanthi after this I'm episode. I'm so down with him because I, I got the impression from this, and maybe they're fucking with me, but I got the impression that this is the type of stuff they do all the time. This, this playing around and this really collegial atmosphere that they've created with each other. I thought it was pretty cool. It, well, was, it was a very good window into what was going on with these scientists. Well, we have, you know, Stripe say even earlier that it bonded with these scientists as if that yes. is a regular thing about its particular, I, I was going to say handlers, but compatriots perhaps is a bit more accurate term. So that seems to be how the Galanthi work. Why they're here is something that everybody's now debating. Cut back to the major who is now danger danger zone right here, Spencer. Trouble. He's one on one with one of the guys and he starts to dress him down a little bit. Ask who him how he assigned got... the really religious guy to be with this dude? Dumb. Bad call. Bad maybe call. he to... maybe he volunteered. Maybe it was well, self-selected. To the point the major even says, the fact that your boss picked you tells you he wants you to do this. Oh, it's you're how right. dumb yeah, it is. Not. He got picked. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, ask him how he got to egregiously uh, uh, split-tailed. I, I know you want to. Ta- I know you want to walk out of here to where the planet is fucked. Basically, you want to walk out of here. Where? Where are you going to go? The planet's fucked. Mm-hmm. I don't like the Galanthi, but we need them to survive. Which, and then that, that's what the the soldier says. And then Major says, "What if uh, thousands of them came through that rift? Millions? What if that freak downstairs is just a pet sniffing us out?" So he's fear-mongering here. Um, this seems par for the course for the free-life people. Mm-hmm. Um, the kid says, that's the Crescent's call. Back to the Major. He doesn't want to make that call. And he left you with me. So it's looking like the Major's got through this kid, right? Mm-hmm. Got got through him. Cut back to the sick bay. Uh, Knitter and Stripe are in a bit of an argument. Knitter offers Stripe any of the medicines available there, basically. Like, open bar. Give me. <laughs> yes. Well, you, you want any of this stuff? Take it. I'll take the green one. Um, quote, we are this close to winning. Not the war, but the world. Imagine winning the planet back, making it livable. Floods, famine, terror storms. The Galanthi can make them stop. So, this is Knitter again. So, Knitter, Spore, unlock part of her brain. She at least thinks she knows something about the Galanthi. She knows their purpose. And she's saying, if we can just facilitate the Galanthi here to help us, we can make the planet habitable again. It seems almost that, that one of the things the Galanthi being spored means is that you just have a fundamental faith and hope that, that the things can get better, things that can, can improve. Because she has no evidence for this. She doesn't know this, and her faith is shattered when some things are confronting her on it. But she has an instinctual belief that working with the Galanthi can improve. I mean, I think we could, we could, we could 
go ahead and start a little bit of theory time segment there, right? Because I mean, you could you could posit that when you the spore, yes, it does unlock part of your brains. So you can understand some sort of tech or technology or um, language or something, but it may also just it may be like a little bit of like propaganda. It may be like making you just like the the fucking. I think that's perfectly brain. possible from what we see. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then where are they? The portal is stable. Why aren't they coming through? This is um, this is Stripe talking mm. back to her. She asked where they were before 5 billion people died. Now, this is the thing I find really interesting because that is, a, that is a death toll from a long time ago. Clearly billions more have died since then. But it's just they arrived at some kind of middle point in the middle of an apocalyptic event. Be it something that was a result of this war or something else that was already occurring that the war then occurred thereafter. Not explained, but they arrived when the chips were already down. Yeah, my guess was the Earth was fucked. They were nuking, tectonic issues, terror storms, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Five billion people died. Then we saw the first Galanthi. And that's kind of the, the timeline, and that's why she's saying, why, why didn't they come before then if they were really here to help us? Knitter, they aren't gods. Stripe, then quit praying to them. Pretty good back and <laughs> yeah. forth. Yeah. That quit praying to them line, I'm going to say very Amalia back and forth there. Yes. Um, sounds sounds a little bit like her dialogue. Knitter then asks if she'll do her one thing, quote, potential line of the episode, can you just hope that we make it right? She says she's not afraid to fight if that's what it takes, but it has to be for a purpose. It has to matter to you. Stripe says you can't ask for that. Quote, 28 years of slogging through blood and shit and towering disappointment has buried me here, likely forever, and I am not going to die waiting on a savior. So this is where Stripe's mind's at, right? She's mm -hmm. not completely bought in on this concept. She's not bought in at all, her. actually. It's a question yeah, why she's she even here. Yeah, it's it's pretty strange that she would even be in that 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 group and be in a pride, right? Because she clearly doesn't think the Galanthia are there to save her. Um, she goes on to say that this was close. That uh, that uh, this is where they will always end up. Mm -hmm. Change is scary. That's why the free life always win. Knit jump, Knitter jumps in to say that she was free life. There's a little bit of a reveal here. Knitter says she was free life, born and raised. So she's done some pretty terrible shit. But here's a quote. But the spores didn't make me brilliant or brainwashed. They were a question. And it turns out nothing will crack this world harder than one gentle question. So yes, I hope for a better world. Do we have a concept of what that question might be? Is it specific nope. or just the idea of questioning things, period? I think you can go either way, right? It could yeah. be some specific question that we just haven't been privy to that will get revealed later. Or it could just be... Um, Does the, the world the spore, need to be this way? The spore gives you hope. It makes you question. It makes you say, why can't things get better? Why can't yes. we, we make things better? And maybe that was something in this dystopian future that humans lost along the way. Mm -hmm. That the that the, the Galanthi are giving back to us. Back to the guy checking in on the operating system. It starts to overheat. Our little Roomba explodes and they start to hear gunfire. Then we hear Major, quote, the only way you live is if it dies. We have to get rid of it. Major's saying the Galanthi's got to get out. Um, and they're trying to tell him it's just retreating through the portal. So basically what, what, what I took this to mean, it was a little disjointed, but what I took it to mean was that the Galanthi's getting the fuck out of there. Um, well, and it's taking it's taking some energy and, and whatever to do it. Well, just to set up a couple of the events that lead us to that moment, they come out of the hall and they see what appears to be the guard dead on the floor, the religious guard dead on the floor. And they see the major holding everybody hostage with a gun, saying what she said. And then we see Stripe essentially rick purposely ricochet a bullet off the bulletproof glass into the major to drop him. And then they start discussing, oh shit, the Galanthi's leaving and leaving us all behind, which is 
for Knitter, a kind of faith-shattering moment. Yes. Knitter turns to Stripe and says, you were right. It was always going to end like this. Basically, the Galanthi leaving and us being fucked. Yep. Um, and Stripe quick draws. Uh, no, no, no. Um, and what? then she's shot by the Major. What? Then she's shot. A, is it by the Major or is it by no, no, the no, no, guard no, the, guy? The guy who is with the Major. Yeah, the religious yeah, so guard. It was the, it was the religious guard who was with the Major. He shoots Knitter. Mm-hmm. Looks like it kills her. This is, it does not look like one where you can just put the little thing on and take the bullet. She's away. This certainly like mortally shot. wounded. Yes. Yes. Um, Stripe um, then quick draws, fires, kills the guy. Stripe. Pff, wow. Doc she, Holiday. She, oh she, my god. Oh yeah. She she even kind of bluffs him too. It's just like I I don't remember the exact line, but she basically gets him to look down at a corpse, trying to indicate that the corpse is actually still alive and about to shoot him. He briefly glances, and that's enough that she just drops his ass. Woo! Bang, bang, shoot him up. Got him. Um, Knitter, I don't understand. This is as Knitter's dying. I don't yeah. understand. They gave up. They gave up on, I think she was going to say they gave up on us, basically. The Galanthi. What, in Knitter's mind, what happened here is the Galanthi were there to save us, but these fucking free life people made such a disaster of it and we humans cannot get our shit together enough that the Glanthi are getting the hell out and they're not going to be able to help us anymore. There's also an implication that though she was claiming oh the Glanthi aren't gods as Stripe called, called her out on she was seeing the Glanthi as this just inherently positive quasi-religious figure that was going to be the savior of mankind. It's the, the idea that's engaging in a perfectly kind of you know I say human reaction and saying fuck y'all I'm leaving I'm out of dodge is shattering the fundamental basis of her belief and faith and you know existence in, in the world now we'll point out we don't know ne- we don't know why the- we all we know is the glanthi's leaving we don't know why I, I, this, this what is what the characters think we can theorize yeah, our exactly own well yeah exactly and then, and that's when stripe responds and says the galanthi is going back for help believe me i believe please hope basically trying to make her feel good right before she does do you wish to tell me your name uh knitter starts to but she dies we get we get an h her name is h um so that's where we can kind of stop and and you can you can debate okay this galanthi is leaving shit's hitting the fan why is it leaving is it going to get reinforcements or is it really just giving up or as we see is it implementing what seems to possibly be the plan that it and the scientists were working out and had already done a few forays with in the past is there a bit of a long-term goal here well, yeah, I mean, it depends on what, how important you think the next event is to the Galanthi. Is that part of the, the overall plan for the Galanthi, or is it just something that they well, just did? Well, we, we see that there are Victorian artifacts. We see that those were already in the lab, meaning there already have been forays back to the past. That yes. is already seemingly something the scientists are doing. And already they said that there was a stable portal, which we thought was to an alien realm. Maybe it's a stable portal back 300, 400 years. Who could say how far back into the past? So maybe it's perfectly possible the Galanthi that we what it does here in the next scene is ultimately fulfilling the mission that the sci- it and the scientists been working out for possibly years beforehand. Whether me, it went according to plan, who can say? You're going to say. Let me do the next scene. Uh, Stripe, Stripe gets up. She walks over to the garden. Through the door, she sits down, clearly a bit frazzled. Starts to hammer them. Knock them back. She's just popping well, bottles. Did you see the symbols on these things? Uh, the bottles? One of them looked like biohazard poison kind of symbol on it. It almost yeah, was like she was killing herself. Yeah, she yeah she's either drinking herself stupid or she's killing herself or she it's it's destructive behavior whatever she does. Yes. Um, she's all alone, pretty upset, and then we see oh, the arms of the Galanthi stretch out over her. It seems to take her consciousness, leaving her body, leaving that vessel there, 
and off goes the glanty. That's the event we were we were preemptively sort of arguing about. Yeah. Um, uh, of if that was the goal um, of what the glanty were doing, or if that was just sort of something that happened uh, byproduct well, of, of the events. Right? I don't think grabbing Amalia, well, whatever we want to call this character, Stripe for right now. It's gonna be, she's gonna, her name is going to change in the next scene. Uh, I don't think that was necessarily part of the plan. I think it needed somebody or some agent to make the plan yes. work. But this was just kind of the option that was available. That was my guess, too. I, I didn't think that, like, the, like the free life coming and the whole thing hitting the fan was any part of the Galanthes plan. I think that they need, they part of the Galanthes plan was getting somebody back for that mission. And uh, Stripe just happened to be the person that they had left. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you get, that's why when, when Amalia is talking in previous episodes about her mission, She's so gobsmacked about this because she's like, I'm just some regular ass person that they grabbed. And that is true. Yeah, she knows Jack from what we see about and this. It, and it seems that from probably from the Galanthes view, it, it was like a last resort of taking her. And yeah, she is just some fucking person. And that's why the Galanthe, in my opinion, needed to speak through Mary to her to explain like, hey, I know this is tough. Like, mm-hmm. I know you're going through a tough situation. We're still here you know, the, everything's everything's going to work out, basically. She needed that reassurance. Why? Because she wasn't the planned person. She was what? never briefed on it. She didn't know what the hell she was getting into. Unless they enjoyed a bit of a melding of the minds when she was brought into this thing, as it goes, you know, several hundred years back in the past, two of them never talked at all. No, and that's that's why you get that sort of ongoing frustration from Amalia. Yeah. And, it, and it all sorts to start to make sense. That's why I personally really like this episode, because I'm like, bam, finally I'm getting some answers. Things starting to, to click and make sense. Hmm. Cut to Victorian England, and we know why do we know? Because we get fancy hats and Vivaldi esque music. Um, and <laughs> then we see, then we see we're in dot 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 chapter two, Molly. Molly. So the chapters are clearly lining up with what this particular entity is being called, and now we are um, in Molly. Now, I will say that um, from my perspective, this is not Molly. This is this is the old person. This is not. Amalia. This is not Stripe. This is a person. This is just some lady. This is a person we saw briefly right before she committed suicide in episode one. And otherwise we have never met this person before. So it's the body of Amalia. This is Amalia. It is the the person Amalia was before Stripe entered her body um, during that suicide attempt. So I'm making this point because I don't want the audience to think, I love to speak to the casuals, I don't want the audience to think that Molly, as we see at the beginning of chapter two, is Stripe or is Amalia. It's right. not. It's a different person. Previously, we've only ever seen Stripe using the name Amalia. This is our first time actually meeting the real Amalia. Molly. Yeah. yeah. She goes by Molly. Yeah. So the chapters, uh, so um, yeah, chapters clearly line up this way. So uh, we see what looks like Amalia. I'm going to try to call her Molly here until Let's call her Molly. Switch call happens. this character um, Molly, yes. I'm going to try until the switch happens. It uh, looks like Molly in a bakery lining up some really sweet-looking baked treats. Woo! Which finally explains a line we got from episode two. Yeah, she's not a fucking baker. From Lord Masson. Now we know yes. what the hell he was talking about. Yes, Masson was saying, Molly, he'd done, he'd done his background research, right? He's mm-hmm. got, he's got, he can run those background checks. Uh, he's got the, he's got the people to do it. <laughs> he is, and they came he back and said, Hey, she's a, Hey, she was a baker. And he's like, <laughs> she's not a fucking baker. Yeah. That's where that line came from. And if you, if you, you were paying attention, uh, in the previously on of this episode, mm-hmm. they give us that line. They did. Reminder. Yeah. Yes. This will be explained. 
uh, back to the real sweet looking bake treat she's got. These here, look Man, tasty. Delectable. Uh, some guy walks in named Varnum and mm-hmm. asks what they are. She explains. Now, one of the things the show has done, and Laura Donnelly, like just whatever the prize is, give it to her because they are giving you different accents to try to let you know who you're talking about, who you're dealing with here. So the accent that we get from Molly is not Amalia's accent. It is not Stripe's accent. Nope. That gives it that clues us in that this is a different person. This is the th- it's a completely different accent. This is the third accent we will hear out of the out of this character in this episode alone. Whoo! Shout out to Laura Donnelly. But it, it 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 seems to me to be a very like low bottom, like low working class, yeah, British accent. Um, kind of hard to follow. Mm-hmm. She explains their French cakes, financiers, got more butter than flour. Can you imagine now? I'm down. Uh, this this is apropos of nothing, but back then, putting more butter than flour in a bake treat is like the equivalent of making it rain in your bake shop. Well, I mean, the, the money that that cost is big. Yeah, this is a very expensive experiment because this is, this is not on menu. She's just kind of fiddling with this. She's not the baker. She just works out front. Well, she is working in the bakery right now. Well, she works in the bakery. I'm just saying that she's not actually the baker herself. She's Correct. kind of a front yes. desk girl, but she's allowed to, you know, make some experiments. Yeah, and that unfortunately that goes away in the future. But uh, Amalia gives Varnum one to try, so she's got an eye for Varnum because he gets one of those sweet French cakes. Um, and uh, a lady comes in and says that she needs to drop some orders off at the shops by the dock. One thing I noticed right away, obviously, is the Mac accent. We talked about that. Uh, some heavyset guy walks in. He's just jabbering away. Now this looks to be Amal, the guy who's proposed to Molly. This is Thomas. I think we hear his name is later. Tom, like okay, I never caught the name. So Thomas. Thomas seems like a real dick. Just pointing. Thomas out. is a profound dick. Yes. Yeah. Varnum tells her um, she could have a posh tea room. Uh, mm. Little flirt. Little flirt. Just a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, meanwhile, the heavyset guy just jammers. Um, Gert is complaining that she's going to have to. Uh, she's going to have more days old than she's like. Uh, more days old bread and mm-hmm. she's asking molly if she'll say yes to the marriage proposition from thomas that's a, i think it's what his name was yeah yeah marriage proposition from thomas um that's out there and the lady correctly susses out that molly is really after varnum but varnum doesn't have any money and thomas apparently has a little bit of money so what she's saying is you need to go with thomas not varnum i don't know if i buy that because you know just in terms of quality of dress maybe to, you know we see a nice house that thomas is from but varnum's still dressing to the nines man still looks yeah. like he's at least you know a middle class p- pencil pusher there's a potential there but apparently not one that amalia is seriously even considering not that lord Var- not that varnum's even you know making a, a proposal himself I, I'm I'm honestly not sure about the Varnum Thomas thing, but I honestly do think it's a uh, I will point out just a general waste of time um, that the show is giving us because <laughs> uh, it's apropos of nothing. This whole thing yeah, goes nowhere. Yeah. It's nothing. They, they could have really um, skipped a lot of that and just it, it adds to the tragedy of the character. Sure, yeah. We're, yeah she then settles. She the the lady um, Gert, I think her name is, then settles in and explains that her daughter's coming back. Therefore, she's going to be giving the job that Molly currently has to her daughter. Molly can still do some deliveries, but they won't actually need her baking things. Uh, Gert says that she'll give her a penny for the deliveries. Quote, married ladies need a little pin money. So what we've seen is that um, Molly's getting boxed in here. Uh, She doesn't have her job anymore, so she's not going to be getting the the same amount of money from the bakery. And this guy, Thomas, uh, has offered to marry her, and he's got some money, so she kind of doesn't have a lot of choices here. Mm -hmm. Cut to Molly and her husband right after the marriage. They walk inside and see his mom. 
Mom, not a good hang. Just throwing that out there. They're bringing her some wedding cake, uh, and she tries in a very aggressive way to eat it, spits it out, doesn't like it, not good for her system. One thing to notice uh, here is when they walk in the room, which is one small thing to notice, when they walk in the room, the guy commands Molly to show her his mother the cake, and when she starts, she starts to speak with a low voice, and he yells louder to her. Now, um, Spencer, you, you've got a girlfriend. Um would you ever scream louder to her if she wasn't speaking loud enough for your liking? If I didn't want her to speak to me for a significant period of time afterwards, sure. Un- like, I actually want, I, I wanted to point out this really small thing. Again, I think all this is apropos of nothing, but they gave it to us, so we're talking about it. Um, this, this show, the writers here, what they wanted to do with this scene is show you that Molly's not in a good marriage, that Thomas is not a good guy. <laughs> we get a lot and of evidence were, for that. Yeah, but they did it with... An, targeted efficiency sure it was laser precision here in two lines we get the full picture i thought it was good writing Hmm. so we cut back to the kitchen where molly is playing the good wife i mean she is she's cooking she's baking she's putting those skills to use and notice the music here very somber string piece meant to show you how empty your life is starting to become now that she's married I i know what to feel you know what to feel yeah you sadness for molly molly look i'm gonna tell you this right now spoiler alert does not end well for molly Cut to Molly at the bakery. Uh, looks like she's getting the deliveries, and so that little side hustle is still happening. And back at home, Thomas, casually eating a sandwich, says, it was astonishing how casual this was. You got better a lot quicker last time. You should charge more, talking about the deliveries, since it looks like those rolls are all you're going to deliver. So he's talking about the fact that she's had multiple miscarriages at this point. So what a fucking scumbag. This guy's the worst. Yeah, that one even caught me off guard. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, you should... <laughs> then he pretty much straight up says you've had two miscarriages past. Like, Jesus Christ, dude, there's being an asshole and then there's reaching epic levels. Yeah, he then starts to preach at her about not getting a namesake and she, in a very like courteous, respectful way, cuts him off and, and leaves the house. So smash cut to Thomas dying. I don't think anybody sheds a tear here. Mm. And we hear that Thomas has a lot of debts. So, of course, of fucking course, this guy has a lot of debts. <laughs> the so, worst. So let's review. Asshole husband dies and even in death makes her life worse. She's left to care for an utterly decrepit, you know, mother who's bedridden. And she lost her job because her boss decided to basically bring on unpaid child labor in the form of her own daughter. It's been a bad couple years. Dude, terrible. Terrible. Of course he dies with massive debts. Uh, We cut back to Molly at the bakery. Gert is telling her that she saw Varnum the other day. He'd moved away from a promotion, but came back to get another one. He did that move. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of people people have done that. You you, you move out of the company, get a promotion, Mm -hmm. come back into the company with an even higher promotion. Looks like he did that, and now he runs whatever office that is. I'm not quite sure what business he's in, but he runs it. He apparently asked after Molly, after Molly, which is the first like genuine smile we've seen from Molly since she got married, mm-hmm. um, and told them all about a housewarming party he's having. But Gert, oh, like knife shiv in the ribs here, says his wife's seven months in and a barren woman is bad luck. So I just thanked him for you. Thank you, Gert. I really appreciate that, Gert. Uh, I still, th- by the way, just going to keep reminding folks. All a waste of time, this. But we're, anyway. It's, it's setting up a scene that we got in the first episode. This I'm not sure like, why we care about Molly. I, I don't understand. But anyway, it's, we, we need to know how she ended up in the river. And this is the extended explanation of how she got there. Extended being the keyword. Molly faces, uh, her face drops and she takes off. Quote, that's the, this is Gert. That's the man you should have gone after. I always said. Fuck you, sad Gert. Molly, yeah. God, she's the worst. Molly, uh, sad Molly takes off and we see that the delivery 
um, that she has with this bread, she's getting like accosted by men. So it's obviously in a very bad part of town. And we heard earlier that uh, Gert wouldn't even send her own daughter to do these deliveries over mm-hmm. near the ship docks. That um, so Molly is like kind of she's got it like a job that doesn't pay a lot. It's not a full time job. Plus it's dangerous. Cut back to the home and the doctor is there looking after Molly's ex-mother-in-law. She's apparently stable, but Molly's having to wait on her. The doctor mentions that they had, quote, troubles with her system. I love how doctors used to talk to women. Euphemism. Well, we had some trouble. Like like she had a little bit of indigestion, you know. Yeah. You troubles with your system. Um, but it's a mercy that there were no children since Thomas died. Now, Molly seems saddened by the word mercy. Now, I took this to mean... Um, that she really had, she really wished she had a kid because her, her life alone. is pretty hollow. She's alone. She doesn't have much joy, and a kid would have potentially given that to her. And the doctor is too stupid to see that. And, and as a barren woman, as we've seen, she's even more ostracized from the community already. Even if she yeah. had friends, nobody apparently would want to be around her because they think she's in some way catching. Yeah, and they apparently they all know that she couldn't have kids. So that's, I mean, it's tough. Um, Gert clearly told everybody. Clearly, Gert's fault. Uh, yeah, the little chatterbox that Gert. And then in the next room, the doctor tells Molly she's good with the old lady. And Molly says that, well, she's a dying woman. I hardly have a choice about it. The doctor mentions that the old lady survived an illness that killed her son. She's likely tough and she will live a long time. Quote, this is from Molly now. Quote, well, God makes his plans and here we are. Uh, doctor, sometimes it feels like God made his plans long before he met us. The doctor says he doesn't need to charge her this time, but... In the future, he'll have to charge her. So she's got invalid woman. She's supposed to be taken care of. No kid. Uh, no prospects for like husband or friends or anything. No money. And now in order to get the medical care for this old lady, she's going to have to figure out a way to get some money because the doctor's going to start charging her in the future. Mm-hmm. And she, she's even yeah. being taunted with the life that she could have had in the form of Varnum returning home and dirt kind of put, rubbing it in her face. Yeah. We then see Molly wrap up some of those fancy French treats. The financiers. Yeah, looks so good. Oh, so tasty. Now, you know, if you're following along here at home, you uh, should be clued in that something's off here because Molly is broke. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't have any money. And these treats require more butter than flour. So these are very expensive uh-huh. treats to make. Now, she's making these treats even though she's completely broke. That should clue, clue you in that this is she's this is not sustainable something is off here a dying act she then drops them off at the door for varnum with a note that says i don't know if you caught the note but it says wishing your family joy Mm -hmm. and we hear a baby cry in the background so we know that varnum has a kid so the the, you know the idea that she's ever going to split that marriage up or something and get varnum it's over the kid's there that ship has sailed molly's just basically alone but in one of her last moves does give some of those sweet sweet delicious treats to varnum and his family mm-hmm. cut back to molly walking she's doing her delivery she goes one way but then she stops i guess she decides today's the day she turns around and jumps in the thames river right thames, thames. river yeah thames 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 it's, it's spelled pretty- thames they call it thames <laughs> but who english <laughs> who the hell knows but anyway it's a river and apparently it's a pretty dirty river mm. that labor um cut to what looks like molly looks like molly being brought into jail she's soaking wet and the guard is saying she came out of the river the guys apparently told her uh the guys apparently told her that she uh the guys at the dock um, Mm -hmm. when she got taken out of the water identified her guy who has her now that she worked at the bakery 
quote, Molly, then has a rippling, and we see a vision of her getting cut in the arm. At this point for the, for, forward, I'm going to cease calling her Molly because we now, we, now that we've seen the rippling, we know that Stripe is in the body. She is now the Amalia that we know. We've yes. gotten to that point. So I, I, no more I, Molly. We call this character I, Amalia going forward. I like this division. It makes it a lot clearer than just using the eight, nine names, whatever they call her in the course of this show. She stops being Molly. She actually did die. So going back to the very first theory time with Lee, um, partially true. She yeah. did die and a new thing came into her body, which is a different experience than, say, Penance had or the other touched. It's not an alien that went into her body it's an alien put another human being stripe into her body and now we have amalia yeah to put it in blunt terms stripe is a, to a certain degree puppeteering a corpse if you want to put it if you want to put it from that kind of view it seems like it's alive and functional but you know this person was seemingly dead in the river and then stripe swooped in to grab it got to be a pretty strange feeling the lady checking her into i think a hospital ward i think she's going uh, to like a psych ward mental asylum uh, of some kind yeah because she tried to kill the stuff um tells her that she'll be fine there and she says um Malia says yeah i might not in a completely different accent than molly so yeah as you said before last time uh, you said before a little bit ago absolute credit to laura donnelly that she has perfectly nailed the you know stripe claudia black accent for now playing in this role for this time which she's going to slowly transition out of quality acting on her part so i'm going to say that this is like a for me like let's say the most difficult thing to ever follow on television is 100 this is about 65 for me this episode this this is a pretty tough one to follow on a first watch through if you're not stopping taking notes and everything if you're just watching it's pretty tough to follow i would say that number would be upwards of 75 80 if laura donnelly didn't nail these accents as she changes yeah, absolutely. And she nails them perfectly. You can just, it is as if Stripe is right there in front of us being just, you know, channeled by Laura Donnelly. It's wonderfully well done. Yeah, she does great. Then boom, smash cut. It's chapter three. The Mad Woman in the Thames. Thames. T-H-A-O-E-S. Thames, whatever. It's bloody Thames, except it, man. Yep. Uh, quote, this is from Amalia, is this a sim? It's got to be free life tech because your temporal sequence is fucked. So, yet again, driving home, bang, we've got ourselves striped in the flesh in 1899. Six. Uh, 96. Six. 1896, yeah. Yeah, uh, before Three the years earlier. Um, so, RIP Molly. Uh, mm. We'll take a second for Molly. Anyway. And we're done. Um, so I would also like to talk about the accent because the accent is obviously from Stripe. Uh, Laura Donnelly's killing it. We know it's Amalia. Sounds to me like a little bit of a Midwestern accent. What did you hear? Well, it's, it's, it sounds classic like generic Midwestern. We hear that she's from Canada, but it's a future enough Canada that whatever. it could be The, the accent could have changed completely or she could not have been a native from it. But it's, Yeah, maybe Ohio just spilled north. Ohio would do that, wouldn't it just... <laughs> um molly uh well then as she's getting checked out sarah calls to her from the stairs we know oh. from previous conversations that sarah is malady and doesn't she look sweet and well put together and looking to be helpful and non-murderous this is only going to work out well so sarah you're right sarah this actress who plays malady acts sarah differently here but mm -hmm. one thing she doesn't change and she does a great job of this is the crazy eyes She's got the crazy still eyes. Still very too. much. The, she sh she shows the same crazy eyes in this in this scene in this sequence as she does as Malady, and it kind of connects the two for me. Yeah, we, we've got the crazy eyes, and we've got the God fearing. The seeds of Malady are there, waiting to sprout. 
Yep, Molly spouts off something um, at the mouth and the matron slaps her a few times. This matron, by the way, super confident when she smacks her. Yeah. It really gave me the appearance of someone who is used to smacking people who do not smack back. But, of course, she smacked the wrong person because Molly clocks her. Well, it, it probably helps that Laura Donnelly is a relatively slight figure. And so the matron's a pretty burly woman is like, well, I can just slap her and there's not going to be repercussions. Little does she know that a trained soldier is suddenly now infesting this corpse. I also appreciate a good, solid uppercut. This is just a sidebar from Lee. Anytime I'm, I'm watching a fight, UFC, boxing, whatever, somebody lands a clean uppercut. Mm-hmm. I, that is that is well, peak. That is peak fighting right there. If nothing else, it's just one of the most visually impressive ways to punch somebody. It just looks good in on, in terms of the screen. And that's what she does to this matron. Cut to Amalia waking up and change. She's restrained, and then we see Sarah. Over her head, Sarah explains that they don't usually restrain folks, but Amalia beat the hell out of the matron, so here we are. As Amalia wakes up, it's clear that she still thinks she's a sim. She thinks and this is, well, and, and you know, it's not, it's not an unreasonable thing that she's thinking here. I mean, it's kind of a strange concept, even then, from what we can tell, to mm-hmm. be just transported into another body. It's much more reasonable to think, well, I'm just, I'm just in a sim now. Right. She has a frame of reference for that. She has no prior history when it comes to, you know, spirit being pulled out of body and moved into another one several hundred years in the past. Wasn't part of the training or prior life history, I don't think. Yeah. Evidence to her that this is a sim is that Sarah can so freely give out her sacred name because she's from 18 fuckety 12. So she's about 80 years off there with the with the yeah, but It's in the range. Yeah. Pretty funny. Amalia then glibly calls Sarah her friend saying, here's a quote. We heard it before. We're going to hear it again. A friend is a friend you trust to trust you back. Mm-hmm. Sarah says, well, yes. And she seems really happy that someone has said this to her, obviously. And then uh, Amalia turning on a dime says, my carbonated fuck you are gray. I don't have any secrets. I'm a stripe. I go. I do. No one said, go. I got no mission. I should be dead. Why aren't I here? So, I don't know. She's uh, just sort of spinning out. Well, it, se- it seems really that the idea that she isn't dead, which hammers home in my mind that she was taking something that may have been poisonous, just really proves to her that, okay, I was dead, I was going to die, and yet I'm not. This is either the afterlife, or let's connect the events I saw in my last moments. Yeah. Um... So I don't know. Maybe she should ask the Goyanthi. That's my guess. But then she starts to freak out looking at her hands. So this is the sort of thing where she's like, fuck, I think I'm actually in a different body. This isn't a sim. So she starts to freak out a little bit. Um, And Sarah is there to console her in a very passionate, compassionate human way. Very solid friend, not ironic, compassionate moment here from Sarah. It is. Cuts the next morning. Molly walks in. She's eating an apple. And she hears people gossiping about her. Uh, I, I only mentioned she's eating an apple because... That's got to be pretty cool, considering what we we know of her. Um, that she <laughs> yeah, never pretty much point, seen a plant before. Uh, yeah, getting a, getting an apple has to be pretty solid. She hears people gossiping about her. She says, "Fucking pits, I need some fiend." So she's just wanting to get jacked. She wants something. Give me some bottles. Give me something. In the common room, Sarah is explaining what she saw: the Galanthi ship with the spores coming down. Of course, she's describing it in very um, religious terms. terms. Um, one of the other patients says she's an unreliable witness, which I really enjoy because she's in an asylum and I really enjoyed Amalia firing back where you are too. Hmm. Um, Amalia says she believes her and then says, I want to know exactly how it went. Amalia is then called in by who Spencer? Dr. Horatio cousins. That's it. We have the origination story of these two. Honestly, the things that surprised me this episode, this may be near the top. I was not expecting him to be there. 
Me neither. Uh, but we do. We get the, the the scenes of how they first met, which is again, we're just we're <laughs> learning about Molly Amalia here. This is the let the the show doing a data dump, a spore right in mm-hmm. the brain of Amalia, and so we get this the start of their relationship, which is, <laughs> I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and it's kind of fun that Amalia immediately flashes forward a few weeks to find out what's going to happen next. Yeah, she gets a rippling of them two having sex. That's got to be strange, right? You meet somebody and then you, and then you get like a vision of you two. Like, not just a, like a I hope, but like a this is going to happen. Yeah, it, kind of, it probably colors your impressions a little bit about what the nature of what you guys are going to be is. Well, and you, did you notice, and uh, Laura Donnelly acts this great. I know it's just like just becoming a slob fest for Laura Donnelly here, but like she changes even her tone when she gets that ribbon. She goes, oh, oh, and then almost a much more familiar tone she starts to speak to him in. Yeah, she, and even just physically, it looks like she's almost try, trying to hide a smile when she comes when she's talking to him now. It's almost like the knowledge of that event has just now changed. It's as if the feeling of that event has now just transported itself into where she is right now. Yeah, and um, but, but while all that's occurring in her head, there's a bit of a pause, and Horatio seems to think that, that maybe she doesn't like a black doctor, so he says, well, we can get you a white one. She goes, nope, that's not it at all. Mm-hmm. So um, they just they go in the back to the examination room. Uh, Horatio tells her she avoided infection. Apparently, Tim's, Thames Tim's, is... Um, <laughs> Very polluted, very polluted and, and disgusting, which is not surprising. But I only call that out because this is, um, you know, I think what we got in the show was a sort of like, um, you could call it like a dystopian future where we've completely screwed the planet up. And then mm. you get the little inkling here, right? The river is dirty. The, the seeds are there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Amalia then says she's from Canada, stops herself, and then she says she's a baker in a British accent. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a baker now. Uh, Horatio doesn't know what to do with this. He asks her mm. if she's in any pain. She says she's a bit weak. She asks him if uh, there's anything about uh, there being a light in the sky from the day she got there. So she's, she's trying to ask about the event that um, Sarah talked was talking about. about because yeah. she, that this, this resonates with her, right? The, the Galanthi ship and the spores very much. Mm-hmm. He asked if that's why she went in the river, and she says, "No, it's probably why she got out." Very truthful answer there. Mm-hmm. She then asks if anyone has gotten better recently, smarter, etc. And Horatio doesn't have an immediate answer for it. We hear a commotion outside. It's the woman from the Rippling. She's wielding a knife, and bam, she cuts Molly's arm exactly like the Rippling played out. And uh, Molly takes her down. Stripe don't play. Stripe can fight. <laughs> Horatio takes her back into the examination room, looks at the cut. When he does, his healing turn starts. And this is interesting. Uh, I suppose he may not have had cause before to heal somebody, but it almost implies that the abilities didn't like immediately necessarily manifest. No, I, I guess he, I don't know why, why, that's a great question. Why does it manifest now when he's maybe like, because he has some feelings for her. He really wants to heal her as opposed to just going through the motions with the other patients. It's either that, or he literally just hasn't had a wound for the last couple weeks to heal. Maybe it's that. Maybe. I find that a little bit odd as a doctor in this kind of environment for how many people we see get hurt pretty constantly. But maybe it's the case. Or maybe there's something deeper to it. We don't know. It's just an interesting data point to keep track of. I'm going to choose to think that like it got started because he like genuinely worked up the feelings of wanting to help this lady as be- because before, you know, it, he, he didn't have those those feelings getting worked up. I'm going to choose to believe that, but I mean, it's not canon, obviously. Um, <laughs> after it's over, Horatio is sitting there pretty gobsmacked. He didn't know what to do with this. Uh, Amalia says, it's a lot to take in. Horatio, speaking for all of us right here, this is speaking for the audience from Horatio. No, no, no. Aliens from the future gave us magical powers. 
It was staring me in the face. <laughs> I swear the show is consciously lampshading itself. It's constantly highlighting that I know this doesn't make sense. Just go with it, please. It was such a good like little line the writers threw in right there yeah. to the right there to the, the the folks who were serious about the show, the scholars of the show. Horatio <laughs> says uh, he's seen weird ailments lately, but he's not. Amalia, I guess, is insane, but Horatio says, no, a woman. So there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, Horatio's already starting to pick up on the fact that the majority of the people who are touched are women. But this is evidence now, not all of them. And what's interesting, too, is hearing Amalia talk about it from here is that she we commented like, oh, a spore didn't land on him. That's why he doesn't have his powers. But she says pretty much immediately here, the spores don't affect everyone they hit. And that she has no clue why that is or isn't. But... Yep. They don't normally cause magic, magical superpowers. Yep, you're right there in the, the very next thing in the, in the recap. That's exactly what Amalia says. She's basically got confused about what happened with these spores because typically um, what they do is they sort of unlock the mind to knowing about the Galanthi. They don't really like allow you to like superhuman heal people and stuff like that. The emphatically enhanced, which I still find the just worst description of what apparently sporing is, but it's the one they're going with. Yeah. Um, she keeps talking and Horatio says, why are you telling me all this? She says, well, I trust you. And he says, why do you trust me? Did you see, did you see something? Did you see, did you, did me, you, did you, did you? Nope, uh, nope, 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 nope. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing to talk about here. What's, what, what, what's dinner? Yep. And Horatio asks if uh, he, uh, she asks Horatio, uh, do you think I'm insane? And he says, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe your alien was. <laughs> <laughs> And Amalia trails off, and in yet another moment of complete honesty with Horatio says, well, it was tortured. Yeah, she's And that is going to make zero sense to Horatio, but it almost brings a tear to me, knowing what we know about the Galanthi and the scientist and the whole background. You know, it's fun to find out now in retrospect just how open she is with the people around her, because man, did we not get that until suddenly they had information in the last few episodes. That's a really good point, like... Horatio knows so much more about her backstory than I thought. I thought may I thought she had like maybe told Penance fifty percent of this. I had no idea that like Penance knew the full story. Horatio knew the full story. Like she was like telling everybody who would listen uh, early on. And we've had no real way of knowing that other than when they all suddenly just know things. It's just been the weird way this show has been structured that we're now finding about that now and being asked to reinterpret past events. Then it looks like we might get a time jump a little bit because I'm not sure this is the same sitting. I think this is a future sitting because it looks like she has a little bit different clothes on. And Horatio is explaining that Amalia was right. There are people who have these powers, but they're hiding it, which makes perfect sense. I mean, think about it, Spencer. If you woke up tomorrow and you like could touch something and it would elevate magically, I mean, you wouldn't be like out on the Today Show talking about it, right? I mean, it would be pretty freaky. So it's, it's natural that these people are kind of hiding it to start with. There would be a brain trust that would be brought in the loop for the sake of my sanity. But yeah, broader than that, I'm going to ponder that first. Exactly. Um, but anyway, the paper has some evidence of this kind of starting to leak out. So he's got the papers there for her. Amalia, confused, then said that, well, no one is spored. No one is emphatically enhanced enhanced there's no one there to guide us so i don't know what the hell's going on basically mm-hmm. i don't have knitter i i don't have the person who can speak galanthi so i can't tell you why they did this or what the hell's going on here <laughs> but horatio has a suggestion <laughs> horatio looks at her and like hey maybe that's you 
You know, he kind of nods to her, like, maybe you're that person. And Mamalia rebels against this idea. Hard. In a way, rage is a little bit more than I thought was maybe appropriate for the conversation. Uh, she says, I'm a stripe. I'm not cut out for this. I've done my time fighting in other ways, and this isn't for me. Amalia then says, um, you know, why she was put, she then asked why she was put into this frame, uh, looking at her body, talks about not having nice boobs. Horatio stops, <laughs> pause, beat, beat. Well, it's a nice frame, uh, and mm. no one was using it. So Horatio, at this point, I do think He's we had a little fully bit of a time in the loop. Exactly. Fully in the, very important to know. Fully in the loop, but also completely bought in on the idea that this lady he's talking to is a is a conscious being dumped in a body from another time, like somewhere else. Like that's a hell of a leap for Horatio to make to believe this. It's amazing to me that he's picked up on it and just locked in on it that fast. I, I also really enjoyed having Laura Donnelly talk about herself while not being herself. Continually describing, of course, the episode how short she is. She is like half a foot t- shorter than Claudia Black. She's pretty short, yeah. But also taking the time to compliment her her uh, world class tits. Good on you. Yeah, uh, Horatio says she needs to get out of this place, or Amalia says she needs to get out of this place. Horatio says in order to do that, she might need to say fuck less often, and she needs to give him back the morphine. There we go. Parallel scenes. She stole the vials of Fiend from Knitter. She stole the vials of morphine from Horatio. And it was interesting, too, because in that scene that we had with Knitter, you, you remember there's a moment of when the lights briefly go out, and when they come back on, they're holding each other. And they have this kind of little awkward little parting moment after that. And we've not heard about who her other husband or other spouses were in the past, whether they're male or female, whatever else. But framing it with what we how we know she ultimately ends up with cousins, it sets an interesting lens back with what with kind of relationship she was forming with Knitter there too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're totally, they're totally doing the parallel stuff there. And and yet again, I think um, the show in the back half of this, we're now firmly in the back half of the episode. They do a lot more to try to connect the dots and make you understand it in the back half of the episode than they do in the front half. The front half, they're not doing a lot of that. They're setting the stage, and in the back half, they're walking you to the water. Right? They're 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 making that horse drink, and they're making you understand stuff. And I think by ma- making those parallel scenes, is yet again reinforcing that this is stripe for the casual who may at this point not have gotten it. And it's really interesting to me how much I like the first part for not knowing anything. The third part for still being in the same kind of field, but giving me a little bit more, and how much I didn't like parts two and four that we're going to come to. But we'll discuss that once we come to the end. Yeah. We're, one thing that we're doing this this episode, folks, if you haven't noticed, is we are delaying our overall impressions. We're not, we haven't given a letter grade yet because it's a lot to unpack, but we will <laughs> once we get to the end. A little bit of a teaser here. Uh, when we get to the end, we will talk about our actual grade of the episode because this is such a different episode than the rest. I think it's really important to talk about that. But anyway, we cut back to Amalia and Sarah talking. Sarah, they're at a table, and Sarah is talking about how she was talking to someone else about a few things, and Amalia cuts her off, asks her if she told anyone about her and her mission. So this is another important thing. Not only is Horatio told about what Amalia is, fucking Malady knows. <laughs> Again, Malady knows. <laughs> it's just why weren't we in the loop on this? That we we had had suggestions when suddenly everybody knows the word Galanthe that she was talking, but we're only now finding at the last moment that no, she's a chatterbox. She just tells everybody around her what's going on. Yeah, that she's like from another time. That an alien stuck her in this body, and now fucking Malady knows this. That's that's a that's a, actually a pretty big reveal. I think. Sarah, she's Sarah until further notice. 
Yeah, but I'm I'm saying malady because I want malady to make it will clear know. that yeah. the, the malady that we know yeah. from those other episodes knew all of this. Yeah. She knows this. Um, Sarah says, no, you don't have to ask me that. Again, going back to the question of did you tell anybody about my mission? Sarah says, no, you don't have to ask me that quote. I'm the one you trust to trust you back. So I know that we the QI roll from Spencer and 75% of the audience right now. But those scenes with Malady where she was saying, like, you you basically um, betrayed me, mm-hmm. Amalia, because we were friends. They're trying to set the stage that there was some validity in that. Yeah, and we're very soon going to have what that betrayal is. Then enter Dr. Edmund uh, Hay. Of course. Dum, dum, dum. And he's here to talk to Amalia and Sarah. Dr. Haig says he's heard about them. Amalia asks what he's heard, and he says that, well, you might be touched like some of these other people. He's starting to really figure out the landscape of, of what's changed here, post-alien spaceship and spores and all that, and how people are now touched. Dr. Haig then says he'd like to talk to each of them individually. Mm. Like a good detective. He wants to break them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, break them up. Not, not asking questions while they're together. And he asked to talk to Amalia first, effectively dismissing Sarah. Sarah leaves and Dr. Haig asks Amalia about her ripplings. Amalia tries to explain, but really buries the lead. Really tries to make it seem innocuous, like it's not a big thing. Maybe, I, I my theory here is that she does not trust this Dr. Edmund Haig. So she's trying to make it seem like she's actually just crazy. That she doesn't actually have these ripplings. Why? Because she says, well, one day I smelled oat cakes and then we had them for dinner. And Dr. Haig's like, who am I talking to here? This is ridiculous. Uh, Dr. Haig then asks about the lights, uh, the lights the night she was admitted. And Amalia says, well, I didn't see any lights. Dr. Haig keeps pushing about the lights. And Amalia explains, well, that was really Sarah. Funk. That was Sarah who said she saw the lights. Um, God in the sky and all that jazz. Um, nobody would believe her. So I lied. And I said, I saw it just make her feel better. I just wanted Sarah to be happy to have something. Is Do she... you think she's getting better? Is she consciously throwing her under the bus here? Is she yes. consciously feeding her to the wolves for the sake of her own her own protection and well-being? Yeah. Doc, here's, here's my theory here. Um, let's go back to the schoolyard, Spencer, when you were a kid. Let's say fourth grade. Okay. All right. Uh, you're outside. It. Yep. You're outside. And you, you, there's somebody comes up older, more power than you, and you sniff them out immediately that it's a bully. Okay. Said bully says, I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. What do we do? No, I think you want to talk to him. <laughs> nope, nope. I think you want to talk to my buddy over here. That's what's going behind on. Behind the here, friend, yes. Is that Dr. H- Edmund Haig gives off this crazy, weird, threatening vibe. I think Amalia picks up on it immediately and says, Nope, I'm going to redirect here and send it over to Sarah. Well, one, of the, one of the big clues that she has is when, at one point she even says that, eh, You know, I'm not really interested in talking about that. I'm not really interested in participating in your study. And he just says, Oh, it's not voluntary. And just oh, sits yeah. down next to her. It's like, Oh, now I understand what this is. So, you know, that's a thing that we can we can say about Dr. Edmund Haig is that he is I think he shows too many of his cards when and it's funny I say that because she Mamali's actually playing cards when he walks up and he uses his hat to disrupt it. He's too aggressive with these individuals immediately. They recognize the threat and he's not getting honest answers from them. Well, he's probably used to dealing with either the powerless or the insane and Amalia is neither, so she doesn't no. really fit into the, the easy categories he's probably worked in before. Cut to Sarah coming up to Amalia. She asks what's going on. Amalia advises her to tell Dr. Haig what she saw, uh, that he's there to help her. So this is a shit move because 
we can tell from Amalia's actions that she recognizes Dr. Haig as a threat. She does the bully redirect in the, in the schoolyard over to Sarah. And then coup de grace, top it all off, goes to Sarah and says, oh yeah, I think he's a swell guy. Why don't you go talk to him? Now we can understand the conversation that happened in, what was it, episode two, episode three between Malady and Amalia? I think it's episode two, and I think we have to go back and we have to rescore, right? We have to start giving Malady a little bit more points here because a lot of the stuff she was saying, while it was interspersed with crazy, um, there was some validity in her, in, her, in her accusations. Validity, yes. Tolerable presentation. I'm still going to fight you on that. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, she's, yeah, it's, it's tough, to, tough to swallow, but at least there was some kernels of truth there. And I didn't even really think we had that before when we were first in taking that scene. Cut to a montage of another patient teaching Amalia how to be a proper British lady. We enter, my, we enter my fair lady for the next five minutes. How to talk, 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 talk. We're doing that, that move. How to eat, how to eat soup without looking, I guess, like a heathen. Mm-hmm. Um, Language and gets, etiquette. Yeah, yet another reason why I don't like soup right there. It's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> you are getting soup next time we order dinner. Montage gets some energetic music. We're getting a little, almost like a Rocky, like Amalia's like, she's, all right, you know, I have to train in this new body. I've got to mm-hmm. train to live in this new world and this new body. And we are getting the Rocky sequence here. Dun, dun, da, da, dun, 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 dun. This is uh, way even, too far for Philadelphia to make this work. Even getting push-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to point out that Amalia's worked up a full sweat doing push-ups, Spencer. I don't know if you do a lot of push-ups. You got to do a lot of push-ups to get a full sweat. So she's been working out there a while. In her words, what do I do with this doughy little frame? She's starting from a low point. She's trying to get she's trying to get back where she was. Yeah, I don't think those are knee push-ups either. I think she's doing the full full oh, toe yeah. to hand. So shout out to her. Cut to the board of people. Some mm. some folks we you know some anathema people that we don't know uh, just out there in the zeitgeist a lot of nurse ratchets i think or something along those lines yeah i've seen amalia we jump right past that we don't even get to see it uh, to lavinia interviewing her in a padded room <laughs> notice that amalia is running her fingers by her thumb the um, same thing t- touching dead. each individual finger against her thumb and running it back and forth and it's yet another connection to stripe because we saw stripe doing that absolutely and i think that we're setting up for if we ever do we might i'm just potentially dot 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 into theory time if we ever get another jump where this being leaves amalia's body and goes into somebody else i'm guessing that the little hand gesture is the way we're going to connect it that's just a guess i think they're giving us that yeah it's a tick a tick that serves as a tell that's what it is lavinia is reviewing her file um apparently her interview with the board went really well they say she basically runs the place taking care of the other touched etc well, the indication we have that the interview did not go well is where are they? Where is Lavinia interviewing Amalia right now? I'm gonna guess that this there was a that we we miss. It's gonna be a shocker to you, Spencer, that we actually <laughs> we missed something. Events. We skipped something, but <laughs> we did. It sounds like it went well with the board, but she's in a padded room and it looks like she's got a busted lip. So it looks yeah. like she got a fight. Uh, which is we find out right here, right here in a second. Apparently, a significant stash of weapons were found under her bed. Yeah, and apparently Dr. Cousins gave her a glowing recommendation, too, to try to get her out of there. Not maybe enough. A little, maybe a little self-interest there. But Amalia tries to cut through the bullshit, ask her why she's there. Amalia or Lavinia comments on her accent, how it's completely different than that of the butcher's widow. She refers to the but notice she refers to the butcher's widow in third person. She's mm-hmm. saying that woman, the other woman, not obviously not the person I'm talking to. So it seems like 
Lavinia is bought in on this concept. Now, this is it. Everybody this knows. Is, see, but this is a thing that, to me, is unrealistic. I, I just feel like this is such a wild concept. It doesn't seem like our main characters have a heck of a lot of resistance to believing it. And that is hard for me to believe. It would seem to me that someone like Lavinia would go, what is she saying? Yeah. She's a being from another time put into that body. She's not actually the baker anymore. And there'd be a little bit of resistance. She wouldn't immediately buy in the way she's done. I, I get that seeing, you know, alien spaceship fly over, dropping spores, suddenly people have superpowers, would probably broaden your horizons a bit. But time-traveling spirits infesting corpses seems even a little bit farther than that. I'd appreciate somebody expressing at least an inkling of doubt on screen. She then points out that Amalia had a few prison shanks under her bed. You know, <laughs> some spoon that she's carved up. I guess Amalia's plan was to fight her way out if it didn't go well with the board. Amalia then posits that they don't want... Basically, hey, I, I, I'm guessing maybe you don't want to leave. I mean, she's unpaid labor. run the place. Uh, yeah, and, and then Amalia says, well, how about this? One of the reasons maybe they don't let me out is I'm running the place. I'm unpaid labor. I'm actually making making the engine go here. Mm-hmm. And then she says, and where would I go? Lavinia, and that is why I'm here. Bang, there we go. Another origination story for Amalia, how she gets to the orphanage. There we go. Yep, and this is last we see of Lavinia this season. Cut to Amalia. Well, this half a season. Cut to Amalia sure. and Horatio on the floor. They just did the dirty. Mm-hmm. Amalia indicates she's starting to like the body after all. Pretty funny little throwaway <laughs> line there. Looks like they are at the beginnings of the orphanage. It's the building that Lavinia has set Amalia up in. Uh, I guess with the pretext to take in the touched and protect them. Which, based on what we saw, and it's hard to tell given the apocalyptic state of the future, but. Can we assume that Stripes was significantly older than Amalia is now? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Just, just making sure we're on the same page on that. I mean, it could have been years of hard living, but even her life story seems to suggest that she isn't. She she has jumped into a younger body than she had. Oh yeah, the Certainly way they healthier. casted that. Yeah, the way they casted that. I mean, she was that 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 actress probably twenty years older than than Laura Donnelly is my guess, and and that's what I'm I'm sort of assuming. So yeah, she's gone back into a younger body and into uh, a younger body. She's doing the dirty. Hey, it's a little fun. This is enjoyable again. Uh, ten, 10 years, but they made her look older. Yeah, it, it looked it looked to me around 20, and I think that's I think that's a fair assumption on behalf of the audience based on how they have portrayed these characters. Uh, Amalia then says Miss Bidlow gave her a new charge. Quote, some Irish girl. I think she builds things. Not patience. <laughs> Not pa- here. Here's a good one. <laughs> Not patience, but something weird. Sadness of religion face. I don't know. God, I hope she drinks. Man, are you going to be disappointed with this one? Does not drink. Horatio then posits that she might be the worst person for this job. Because, I mean, look how dismissive she was of just her initial charge. Quote from Amalia. No, I'm going to be great. I'm going to bring us all harmony and peace. I think she's being a little sarcastic there. You know, I really miss this Amalia because we never get to see this Amalia again. We get to see sullen, depressed, angry Amalia from here on out and throughout all the prior season. Yeah, and it's a funny cut, too, because we go from her saying, I'm going to bring us all harmony and peace, right to the scene of Amalia and her band of volunteers trying to get to the Galanthi. So we cut right to, now we've moved all the way up to the events of the last episode that mm-hmm. were happening concurrently from the just clusterfuck that was the Malady execution scene. In parallel to that, we were having Amalia and her band of warriors trying to break in to see the Galanthi, which is to Lavinia and Dr. Edmund Haig, just the orb that they don't understand that they're trying to study with the lobotomized touched. Which, unfortunately for them, is in one of the few major military bases in London, apparently. Which, 
Penance assured them there would be no soldiers there, but look at that. Yeah, they're they're basically slugging it out. And in the middle of this fight scene, we smash cut to last chapter card of the episode, chapter four, True. So she's back to now she's Amalia True. Mm-hmm. We see Bonfire Amalia and Augustus all fighting. I guess they're guards in front of the orbs. This is what you talked about in this military base. We see Horatio is helping with the drilling. So I guess while they're fighting, Horatio's got the drill to try to get them lower to get down into the room where there's the orb. And Amalia falls through the bottom of the floor. Credit to Augustus. Man's throwing down. He's really getting into the fisticuffs. I wasn't expecting that from him. Yeah, Augustus really surprised me here. He was much more of a G than I expected. I mean, he is in there. He's fighting. And even in the last scene, which which we get to, there's a couple people following Amalia, and he just kicks them right out with his birds. (laughs) He casts murder. He's actually kind of a badass a little bit, because he can command birds to just take out two people like that. Oh, He's pretty tough. He casts murder of crows, and it is super effective. Murder of crows, like what you did there. Mm. Anyway, Horatio is helping with the drilling. It works. Amalia drops through the bottom of the floor. And she starts to wander through to find the orb. And here it is, Spencer. I think it's time for an Emmy-worthy monologue. Buckle up. Let's go. She's now meeting the Galanthi. Yeah. She walks through some hallways. She gets there. Here's the quote. All this time, you're still in the fucking ceiling. Pretty funny intro. Amalia clearly thinks she has found a Galanthi. So I think we've got some answers here on this episode. The orb, I believe, is an actual Galanthi. They they got a they got an alien here, you know, on Earth in 1899, and it is in the orb. And she's talking to an she's actually talking to a Galanthi. Though, as you noted, and you're loving of the fleshy di- uh, bipedal dinosaur that we saw earlier, it appears to be some kind of artifice that it constructs around itself that it's able to yeah. just kind of create out of will. Um, there's some fun parallels too as we set up the scene from this to where we started in chapter one. Uh, the, even the rebreather that she puts on when she goes into this underground world looks directly like an older version of the rebreathers that they were wearing back in chapter one. They're going through the, you know, the blasted landscape where nobody could breathe. And now she's in this environment where she's confronting the Galanthi again, same way as she was dealing back with chapter one. It, it's like a poem. It rhymes, to, quote, to, to reference George Lucas here. Yeah, I completely agree. So here we go into the Emmy-worthy monologue. So now what? I told everyone you were going to save them, save the world, that you're hope, but you're not. Not for Lucy, not for Mary and Sarah. So again, calling Malady Sarah when she's in front of the Galanthi. Mm-hmm. What a team, you and me, except no, except no you. No wisdom, no plan, just people to leave behind over and over and over. I'm doing it now. I left Penis because you said find me. I left my heart to come talk to you, talk my... to me. She calls calls penance her heart and the shippers started squeeing Woo! look out our never are the nevers is going to be all over this thing with some memes of the two of them my yeah. heart um she asked why it's hiding why did it all go so wrong and pause there did it go wrong i'm not i'm i think i'm not sure that we know it went wrong yet we still don't know the galanthi's plan we, we've seen before, though, when she was, like, talking with cousins, she seems to actually kind of self-doubt-ish believe that her presence may have in some way messed up the spores. Yeah, it went in with, with what I'm seeing. And again, we're, with, we have very limited knowledge here, but we just having to guess. I think that the Galanthi had a plan, had to shift the plan mm-hmm. because of the free life folks. But her being there in that body now is what that Galanthi wanted. So I'm not quite sure it all went as wrong as Amalia thinks Boy. it went. She's coming into this with a profound amount of self-doubt and self-loathing, and that's yes. coloring a lot of her beliefs about what the state of the plan is. 
She says, did my wreck of a brain cause all this shit? There you go, yeah. to your point. I can't think what else to... I woke up in this world, in this body that I can't fit into. Who is this? What am I? What am I? Amalia crying here. And um, during this monologue, touching the orb from time to time, I guess trying to make a connection with the Glanthi. She says they should have taken Knitter. Well, they couldn't. Knitter died. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I take your point, I guess. She believed, and Amalia now blames herself for taking that belief for her. She died in despair. My despair. Uh, which is... Eh. I don't think that's true. Sixty percent true, maybe. There's there's eh. some truth there. Sure. She did die in despair. She did, um, but she very consciously tried to help her there in that last moment with the story. She did her not face. giving herself enough credit here, all the way around. Amalia just not giving herself enough credit. Yeah. She goes on with the monologue. It should have been anyone else. Someone not broken. Someone taller. Again, no joke. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, um, this is like almost like the Jon Snow height jokes that we just kept getting over and over in seasons like six, seven, and eight of Game of Thrones. I feel like we're getting there with Amalia and how short Laura Donnelly is. Yeah, this show just every now and then finds it's something that it thinks is funny and it repeats it like twelve times. And good lord, yeah. do we end the damn oh, mid season on say, one? Yes, we end we it on the mid season. So we'll get there. <laughs> She continues to try to cry, real crisis of faith here. But then it seems like maybe the Galanthi starts to respond. It starts to creak and rumble, shift and shake. And then Amalia has a rippling, a big-ass rippling as she falls backwards. And I believe it's, we start in the past. So there's a lot going on in this rippling. We touch a lot. I'm do my best to unpack it, but Please. we're not going to nail it because there's a lot of shit being thrown in there. Um, I believe we start with her time as a stripe, uh, then also as Molly. And then we get some scenes leading up to where she is at this episode. Smash cut to a scene where she is leveling with penance. I guess this is in the future a little bit. Mm, well, no, no. In the, well, it's in the. So let me pause. From where we just were, it's in the past. It's right. in the future from where we saw Molly in the previous chapter. It is in the future from the end of chapter three because they're directly discussing that first meeting. So this is the first meeting that they'd set up. Yep. She asked Penance if she's upset that she told her. Penance is no. <laughs> so she tells Penance upon first meeting her all the yep. details and information. This is how she runs. Well, fair enough. We don't know if it's first meeting, but pretty soon after meeting her. Penance, this says. Um, all right, I'm nominating it. Potential line of the episode, your favorite character, Penance. It's a good line. Big bullhorn for the series here. Really, really do like this line. It's mm-hmm. upsetting, the future being so grim for everyone. But we'll just change it all up. It's work. It's a life's work. Like is not to drive us mad or get us killed, and we'll never know if we've done enough or done it right. But what in the world's as rare and nourishing as a life's work? And as I see it, God gave me a gift. And by way of recompense, he's given me another. Question. From this line, from its tenor, and from the effect that penance seems to have on the people around her, do we have reason to possibly believe that maybe there is actually a spored among us? You think that... So you, the potential theory time with, with Spencer is that she's actually spored, that the unlocking of... The alien technology, the Galanthi technology, is actually evidence that she is emphatically enhanced. That she is actually a spore, the rest of them being touched. That her weird ability that I've hated the entire time may actually be a grounding with what we've just established about being able to un- understand Galanthi language and tech and that kind of thing. And this kind of emphatically enhanced, caring about everybody, changing the future fits into what Knitter said before about how the spore work. Yo, I like it. I let's let's put that one out there on the big board of theories that we actually do have a spore, uh, spored person here, uh, a knitter esque character in in the amount of knowledge that, or at least in the way that they've been they've been enhanced, and that is 
our girl, your favorite character, Pence. Lead back to Amalia's Rippling. In this Rippling, this is a lot of shit going on here. We see the Beggar King talking about war. We hear Dr. Haig saying, what did you think? A voice of some woman saying, you were the only one who hitched a ride. We see people running. Then we have a vision of Malady. Gunshots, more fighting. Then the craziest part of this whole thing is we get a to the nines, red carpet ready, dressed up Myrtle speaking to her saying, oh, Amalia, this is a long time from that little cave. This I will need you to forget. So I think that's the point you're talking to Myrtle. <laughs> I honestly had to take a break after that scene. It's like, nope, I'm done. There's too much. I need to go. I need to go de- detox for a second. What the hell am I supposed to make out of that? It's like, <laughs> that was, this was meant to just be let's give them something weird so they'll just theorize themselves into a grave in the half in the half season break and sure yeah that's the effect of that maybe i mean i took it as and i could be wrong and and there'll probably be better theories than this but this is just how i took it on the face is that she was seeing a lot of what's going to go on in the future. She's going to have a war with the Beggar King. She, uh, Malady is going to come into the fold. She's going to work with Malady. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on. And the Galanthi, speaking through Myrtle, talked to her at the end of the Rippling and said, this is the long time. This is the, the, All this stuff is a long time from that little cave that you're in. I'm going to need you to forget all this shit. What, did you ever see The Fountain with you know Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz? No. They, I mean, you're, you're just running the floor with me on stuff I haven't stuff seen the, this episode. The imagery very much reminded me of that, of this just weird, stark, multicolored, art, artistic spacescape that we're suddenly to see this character in. What did you think of the dressing up of Myrtle? Because they put her in, like, makeup and hair and everything, and it was all, like, and they very much dressed that character down in the previous episodes. Almost hard to connect that well, they are the same character. I only caught it on the second watch. I When I stopped frustrated with this scene, I went back and rewatched it, and that's the time I noticed it was Myrtle. Because otherwise I thought, who the hell is this they're just throwing at me right now? It was a little hard to follow. I agree with you. And it, it didn't, they didn't, I, I, if I was advising the show, if I was giving my notes, I would have said, present Myrtle the same way we've always seen Myrtle. Mm-hmm. The, scrap the, the, the change well, in the world. They want to make it clearly some event in the future. They want to make it clearly something that's an event that we can only ponder how we're ever going to reach there, and that's why they're doing that. A couple watches got it through, because it looks like the actress, but man, is it buried under a lot. Leap back to Amalia waking up from the rippling. She's still in the cave, and she hears the stormtroopers slash Death Eaters arriving, and she says, <laughs> oh, that part's now. Bang, and we get a fight scene. And this right. time with gunshots. Yeah, uh, clearly you should not give these guys guns, because man, they shoot a lot of themselves and they're trying to kill her. <laughs> Yeah, these are I, uh, definitely stormtroopers in how in-depth they are at fighting. I mean, there's is, a lot of them, but they suck. Which is disappointing. They, they set these guys up as so visually impressive, and man, they just drop like flies. Now, what's interesting, though, is that this isn't a military base that this thing is is on, right? It's a military base. It's, un- it's under, yeah. Yeah, so these Death Eaters, stormtrooper characters with the fake face, mm-hmm. they... Maybe they seem like they might be locked in with the British military at this point. I don't know. I mean, this this object is underneath the military academy. I think it is, or something along those lines. We don't know to what degree Doctor Haig and Lavinia are in any way connected with the government. We've pondered for a long time that she and Lord Massner joined at the hip. The show's almost expli- explicitly said that to us, and with him kind of serving as the face of the government that we have, reasonable enough maybe to connect that he could be very much aware that they are under there. Leap back to Amalia, waking up from the rippling. She's still... Oh, nope. Back, back, back up. 
Mm-hmm. Read the wrong part of my notes. Cut to Amalia walking out of the building into the daylight. Um, she seats the birds. And what happens when uh, those two people follow her, Spencer? They get swooped. They get honed from um, my main man, Augustus. What mm-hmm. a what a guy. He's just around the corner controlling a murder of crows, and he just takes out two people that I don't think Amalia really knew were following her. It, perfectly possible it's an unkindness of ravens. That also could work. Couldn't tell from the from the limited visage. Honestly, the crows swooping in was the worst special effects they've done in the show. Man, did those look fake. Still a great scene, though. Yeah, I don't know. I was just so hyped that Augustus yeah. was kicking ass that I didn't... I mean, I was just like in cheerleader mode. Like, go, Augustus. Because well, I do like Augustus. I mean, I, he's, I, a, he's on my good list. C- convenient that they were just out, out front waiting for her. I, yeah. Maybe that was part of the plan. How could they know? Works I mean, what else care. would they be doing? They, I mean, they're not going to leave her there, you know? Of course they would, they'd be waiting Well, for her. it's a military base. Did they just beat up all the soldiers and walk away? That's what I think we're meant to believe. Well, Bonfire was there, too, so a lot of got lit on fire. Okay, great. They murdered a lot of soldiers, and now they're just yeah. waiting out front. Sure, fine, okay. She, Yep, and then she actually sees Augustus, who looks pretty worse for wear. Yeah. Then we see a scene of them going back to the orphanage, seeing Penance after the event with Malady. We're connecting back to the end of the last episode. Penance asked Amalia if things went all right. She gives a nod. You, ah, it was a riot. So there you go, connected scenes. Can I note one little flash that I thought I saw in the collection of flashes that we got of her? And that just, you know, collage of images. Yeah, go ahead. Lord Masson with a shotgun. Mm, I don't know if I caught that one. It looked like Lord Masson with a shotgun pointed kind of at the camera firing. I know I, I saw a gunshot. I didn't know yeah. that it was Lord Masson. So if so, that's a that's a great catch, and it's something I I think we're meant to believe that all that stuff's going to bear out it, in some way, in some shape. Yes, and it could connect to what we described as you know the Mad Dogs in the basement, a bit of an old Yeller kind of moment. But what is actually the Mad Dog? Yeah. Well, we've seen Masson with a gun too. Last episode, he was brandishing a pistol. So I mean, he, he, that he's man, a soldier. He'll fire on you if he needs to, <laughs> or perhaps his daughter. Ah, uh, you think he's going to kill his his infected daughter, his touched daughter? He's in in the basement, chained up. Is that is that theory, time with Spencer? I think it's gotten more likely over the course of the season. I don't like it, but I think we've got evidence for it. I like it. Then we see Anil run to the side of Harriet. Harriet is hurt worse than I thought she was. Well, Harriet got trampled by a crowd. This was a crush moment. Yeah, um, and and considering how bad she looks in this episode, it looks like she's like really really injured. Uh, I mean, we could we could say that Malady may have saved her life. It, very possible Malady saved her life. The luck so we've got Malady's killed, what, let's say 85 people? Uh, let's talk it back to 84. She saved one. So, and, you know, and, the, the, the lines she's and been, yeah. for what the show is setting up, they're going to view that one act as redeeming for all the others. Because this was a main character that she saved. The other ones are relatively unnamed. Oh, one of the threads through the middle, like, 25 minutes of this episode is the redemption of Malady. Yeah. That's one thing that we're getting here. And I think this is, the, you know, not to pat myself, break my arm, pat myself on the back here. But the last episode, I said that we're going to get Malady coming into the fold with the girls at the orphanage. And I think that this is all setting that up. I mean, it may, giving her that that background where it, it is clear that Amalia wronged her. So if Amalia goes to her and apologizes, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to make a lot more sense to the to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's finish up the scene. Let's talk about that. Mm, excited to hear it. Uh, quote, this is now from Penance, we didn't save Malady. Here's your favorite part of the episode. Oh! Amalia, I'm glad you tried. It was the right call. What world are we in? We 
where is she coming from for that? Just, you know, her flashback guilt about how this all got set in motion? Maybe. I have no idea what, what caused this change of heart here. And, it, and you got to remember. So disappointing. It seems like a, a long time, right, from the, for, the, for the audience with the change of heart. But in real time. It's just that in the course of an afternoon, it's like it's like an hour since she had that conversation with her. Like it's very strange. I was so that she made this change. Yeah. I was so looking forward. to This as a moment for Penance to you know mature and overcome a little bit of her her well meant naivete to understand that there are some people that, is, despite the best of your intentions, can't can't be saved or at least can't be saved in so blunt and callous and blunt and ill thought out of a manner. But no, all of her choices have been validated now by the main character. I didn't find out who our enemy is, Samalia talking. Back to Penance, but you found something. Amalia gives a head nod, so she's indicating she did find something. Penance and Amalia walk up together. Amalia says it's time to tell them everything. The future, the Galanthi, the fight that's coming. So uh, she's told a lot of people, but apparently she's not told everybody. Which to me was just warning signs. Oh, shit, they're going to end the episode now. Yeah, we're yeah. not going to hear this until, the, until, until several months from now. Penance says it feels right. Amalia says it's coming. Amalia says... Here it is, folks. Here's the reveal. Put it on a t-shirt. Put it on bumper stickers if you're fans of the show. The real name of our girl Stripe is Groku. My name is Zephyr. <laughs> Zephyr Alexis Naveen. Mm-hmm. Penance, well, I'm very pleased to meet you. Cue heartwarming music. They lock arms and Penance sees the hot air balloon taking off. Screwing up. It's this fucking prototype. We get zany music. Uh, That's the end episode. Ends, end episode. End first part of season one. We end, of course, on that persistent joke throughout the whole series. I told you a couple episodes ago I, know. I had my fill. I had my fill of it. I'm done with the penance prototype messing up gag joke thing. And I, it's, come you, on. You are never going to be done with it, sir. It is the recurring theme of the show. Uh, I, I'm really frustrated <laughs> that they ended it on that. But, you know, whatever. Um, so let's talk about let's see here's the here's the order I want to talk about things. Sure. I want to go. I want to hear your your thoughts in the last five minutes. The Amalia sort of switching and saying that oh yeah well you did the right thing by going to try to save Malady. The wrapping up of the episode when we end there after I hear those thoughts then I want to transition into letter grades. So go tell me why it's stupid that Amalia tells Penance oh yeah you made the right call you should have done that all along. Because it is. <laughs> do, we, do you need a dossier sir it's dumb do, do, do you disagree do you do, do when you saw that scene how did you feel when she said that did it in any way just give you whiplash or were you on board it felt cheap yeah it felt like a, a they, it felt like they were trying to end the episode in a heartwarming way and it felt like a really cheap way to get there amalia giving penance that but it didn't feel earned because nothing happened between when Amalia told her it was stupid, which made a lot of sense to me. And now, if you're just paying attention to real time in the episode, nothing really happened to change her mind, so it felt kind of cheap. I mean, it happened for the audience in the sense that we now see a foundation for why she might feel guilty about what occurred and why Malady is what she is now. But we didn't see the character go through any of that. She had a brief moment with the Galanthi where she had some flashes, none of which included Malady, and now she's completely reversed her point of view from the prior scene. Maybe just because she believes in hope to a certain degree again. It's one of those things of where even if you think that it was the right thing to rescue Molly, which I fundamentally disagree with in all kinds of ways, how can you think the plan that Penance put together 
was in any way going to work out well. Well, she did say, uh, to parse it, I'm glad you tried. It was the right call. So maybe she's saying trying was the right call. Maybe not the, the plan I, itself. And I still fundamentally disagree with that. Because if they had succeeded in any way, it would have been a reign of terror upon the touched in the city of London. Again, assuming Malady didn't just kill them all in the car. Because she was plainly planning on killing lots of people that day and is glorying at the violence and riots that are now consuming the town, but primarily targeting the touched. I hear all you're saying. All great points. I counter with, she saved Harriet. And the show wants me to believe that's enough. Yeah, that's, it yeah it is. that is. That is what they want. It, it, they want the fact that she saved Harriet and the fact that we all the touched people have been telling Penance is the right thing. And... Sarah, the history of Sarah and the validation of some of the shit that Malady has said in previous I, episodes is all supposed to lead you to believe that it actually was the right thing which, to do. I still don't think it was the right thing to do. It 100% proves your, your theory that the next half of the part of the season is going to be about them, them teaming up to confront a greater threat and having Malady work closely with them and have us now view her in some ways as a misunderstood anti-hero good guy and just sweep it into the rug that all the people that she's been killing were, you know, bad people. And were not touched, so are minor characters and so well, are irrelevant. You, you called this a few episodes ago. That this show is getting dangerously close to treating the deaths of non-touched people as something that doesn't matter. Almost like the Marvel superheroes with the also-rans in the buildings die, right? Like, you called that. And it's true, because like she just killed all those people who were touching the, the, the arm rail, well, right? They, they were there the to see episode. her execution. Therefore, they are bad and deserve to die. And yeah, and that's that kind of hard for me to take. People that were killed on the balcony, they were rich and in big in society. Therefore, they deserve to die. And all those medical people that she killed, well, they mistreated her. Trust me, they all did. Therefore, they deserve to die. Among also the uh, several others that we don't even get framed on the screen. Which is BS. All is BS, yeah. It, I don't like that they're going in this arc, and it's now clearly set up that that's the direction they're going in for it. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, any more on that scene before we transition to... The big reveal, the overall thoughts, and the grading of the episode. I think we should also grade the first half of the season to boot. Why not? Okay, let's do episode first. Episode first. Um, uh, I want to give a little context to folks who may just be picking us up now because I'm going to guess here, Spencer, that there's going to be some people who find our podcast on this episode because they watched this episode and thought, <laughs> need I need help. somebody to explain this to me. <laughs> fair. Very so we fair. might have some new folks here. So for the folks who are new, Spencer... Started out the grading, I think you started, what, C minus? For first episode? Yeah, somewhere around there. I think you got to a B minus, right, in another episode. I think a second episode was my favorite of the season. Then it's been kind of mixed, pretty and mixed. And maybe yeah. slipped back to C minus. So you, you've oscillated between maybe a C minus to a B minus B, back to C minus. And maybe a couple give... C pluses in there, in that range. Yeah, what do you give this episode? I'd give it a B minus. I, okay, so at the top end of your scale. It's okay. at the top end of my scale. I think this may be my favorite episode of the season. The reason it doesn't get higher ratings, though, is that it is such a mixed bag. It is, There are moments in this that are truly great and interesting and make me want that to be more the focus of the show. And then we return back to the present moment, and those were kind of the worst stuff. Of where okay. chapter, like chapter one and chapter three, great stuff. Quite liked it. Chapter two... I think I liked it better than you because it, put, it gave you a certain degree of sympathy for Molly, even if it serves little purpose and just kind of dawdles for like 10 minutes of the plot. Chapter four, I did not particularly like, even though I admit it was heartwarming for the character to have completed her arc. 
just because it framed where the show is going and directions I'm not going to enjoy. Um, okay. All right. Spencer gives it, it's still within your band, but it's maybe the high, a higher band of the episode. So B- it's, minus, it's one of the, one of the better episodes of the season. B minus flirting with a B. There was some great acting here. There were some interesting reveals. There were some fun directions and some flaunt, fun lore that was put in there. Even though I find a lot of the aspects of the present grounding themselves in some of the things I've found frustrating about the rest of the show. Okay. I am going to give this episode an A minus. A minus for Damn! Hot, your best episode of the season. By far. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, this episode actually, trying to review it makes me a little self-conscious. I'm just going to be honest with the audience here. Go on. Because I really was intrigued. I love the storytelling. I love the backstory. I love the reveals as we went. I had no idea what was good. The hell was going on for the first 20 minutes of this episode. <laughs> I thought, well, I, at one point, I like paused it to make sure I was still watching the right show. Mm-hmm. And I... F- it, it brought me along to where I felt like I figured out the beginning. I felt like I'd pieced it together. Like I had, I'd sort of unspooled this thing, right? Like that made me feel really like intrigued and excited and like really mentally and intellectually engaged with the show. And because of that, like I, I enjoyed the reveals. And then I, because I felt like I had done some work to figure out the first part of the episode that they helped me with, I was so much more bought in for the back half. And while there are flaws in the back half that I don't give it an A+, I, at that point, was 100% locked in the show in a way that I have never, never been with this show before. And I think one of the key questions that you have to ask when it comes to this is that this episode attempted to justify or reveal or explain a lot of the confusion or what seemed like nonsense that we'd seen in prior episodes here at the very end that letting you essentially look back at these prior episodes prior episodes through a new lens did that work for you does it in some way redeem some of the problems you saw in the prior episodes or does it feel tacked on here at the end no it, it really worked for me I, I really did i mean i i i felt like some of the storytelling was disjointed and difficult to understand at the beginning. But when you have this episode, this big like reveal, massive, like let me give you all the backstory and the lore and the canon, et cetera. I felt like I connected the dots and I felt like a lot of that stuff became earned. All mm-hmm. the troubles that we had in the beginning uh, of the of the front half of the season. I felt like I kind of earned it, mm-hmm. getting slogging through that to get to these reveals. And now I have a, a much expanded world. To, that I'm playing with now in the show. And if you want to start with the theory crafting, well, they've given you the palace, sir. The, you have an open canvas, go nuts. This is very true. They've given us every possible tool that we can want. <laughs> they've given us a lot more tools to fiddle with in terms of trying to explain where things are going and what things we have seen. For me, though, I, I think it makes it better. I think it explains some of it, but it doesn't fully redeem it because I don't think the episodes were... For this kind of plot, and this is done in a lot of media, where it's the end now explains everything you've seen before. I still think what came before has to be able to stand on its own legs for it to work, and there were moments that I don't think the prior episodes were able to fully pull that off. I think this explains all of it, but it still doesn't justify a lot of the slog we had to go through to finally reach this explanation. Maybe. I mean, you know, I, I can't argue with you that some of the previous episodes were difficult to follow and some of the storytelling techniques left you sort of baffled, like mm. when they just dropped Galanthi right in the previous episode. That was baffling and it was hard to understand. I felt like they gave it, they gave us the understanding and I felt like when I got through this episode, I started piecing together everything they did. I felt like, wow, look at this. I figured all this stuff out. I connected these pieces and now I understand those previous episodes. So like, I it would be 
I, I'm much more comfortable coming on our podcast and saying, um, well, no, like I, I have these issues with it and let me point them out and like mm-hmm. be like the cool guy in the room. I'm sorry, <laughs> hand up. I'm sorry, hand up. I'm just a fan at this point. I really, really enjoyed it. That is perfectly fine. I'm enjoying it too. I just enjoy it more harshly than you do. This is kind of yeah. how we work. For, for those that have not watched our material before, this is normal for us. Very much so. I always always tend to, to scale higher and, and be a fan faster. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great ending to the season, and it left me salivating for what's to come. So what? I really hope that we get some news soon on when we're getting the back half of season one. And it makes it all the more interesting for us of where I like a lot of these points. A lot of these points are really fun things that they can do with. I want to see more of this old, this, this future. Honestly, if they want to make a, make a show focused on that future world, that was interesting. That was compelling. That was fun. That was fun kind of stuff. The story of the Galanthi. All of these are fun little bits to put together. I had some issues with how they went about implementing those with the writing that kind of connected these points. But as said, I worked through them. But now we're in a world of where the showrunner has changed for the next half. Joss Whedon is out. We brought in somebody new. I, I can look up her name, but I don't really remember it right now. Where does that leave you in terms of confidence about the show now that it's someone completely different is at the helm? Well, I don't know this person, right? So it's just completely new world. Um, now, for I'm not I'm not trying to like say positive things about Joss Whedon, considering like the issues he has. Like I mean, it, like they, they should have pulled him off the show. From all I can tell, I mean, I'm just a passive observer, but it seems like they had more than enough reasons to pull this guy off the show. A lot of problems with him, but he has told some stories that I've liked in the past. Oh. So I, I do know that when he's running it, you know, he's told good stories before. I don't know this person, so who knows? We'll see. Uh, I'm gonna give it a shot though. Her name is Philippa Goslett. I'm looking up what she's done before, but she's a British screenwriter. Um, I mean, you, you know, so we go from a known entity. I, I kind of know that. Uh, let me, let me, let me hang in there with Joss Whedon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get something eventually. I feel like. <laughs> so we got somebody new. We'll have to see. But uh, they sure have a great, in my opinion, springboard from whence to go. Because now, now I totally get where they're going. It's they, they. Wait, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You, you, we have we have theories about where they're going, and we have pieces of information by which we can ponder where they're going. I think it's a little bit presumptuous to say we know where they're going. Well, we know. Well, they gave us some some ripplings as to what's going to happen. There's going to be a war with the Beggar King. We're going to continue to have conflict with Maybe. the Master, but she, ultimately she, the goal is to try to change the history such that the world doesn't become like an apocalyptic piece of crap in a thousand years or what. I will agree. That is something we know now. That is the overarching, seemingly plan of the Galanthi and the scientist team that it was with. Why they're back here now is that they went way fucking back in the past for the purpose of altering a distant future. So that's what I'm. That's what I mean by I know where they're going. I don't know. I mean, sure. I don't know like episode by episode what's going to happen. But I, I, I do have a sense of the overall goal of the main characters, and that sort of like North Pole is is pretty cool. I think to have in the show now, considering how confused I was in previous episodes. Well, it also sets up in some ways a trick they can no longer pull. That now they've kind of revealed this. Now that they at the last episode explains everything that came before, it's not something they necessarily can really do again. They could. It would probably be insufferable if they tried to pull this trick one more time. I don't think they should do it again. No, I yeah. think this should be a seminal episode. It should be a standalone, different type of episode. I don't think they should try this again, unless something drastically changes in the storytelling. I don't know. Which may make for a, a much more... I, I struggle to call this show stra- uh, straightforward, but it could make for a much more straightforward format here in the future, now that we are much more in the loop with where the characters started. Exactly. All right, you want to cut to segments? Let's cut to segments. Sir, I ask you, um, 
Could we agree on who won this time around? Who is our winning horse for this episode? We probably can, but let's do best line of the episode oh, first. Yeah. I did a very, very thorough recap where I quoted a lot of lines, so I don't want to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call an audible here and not go back through and read all okay. the lines again because I think we, hopefully, our audience had enough of me just like reciting the script. So I'm gonna give it, kick it to you for any, any, any lines you want to really point out, but I don't want to run through all of them. The penance line. Does the penance line win? Does the penance the line? best line of the episode, episode six, is the penance line. It is yes. upsetting the future being so grim for everyone, but we'll just change it all up. It's work. It's a life work. Not. Like is not to drive us mad or get us killed, but we'll never know. And we'll never know if we've done enough or done it right. But what in the world is rare and nourishing as a life's work? And I, I like the point, and we'll never know if we've done enough or done it right. That is kind of the tragic fate of these characters now. Yeah. Is that they're going to have to try to change the future, and they're never going to know if they did it. Yeah, they're going to throw a light into the darkness of the future and just hope it sticks. That's all that they can do. It, it's a, it's both a great line, it's a great philosophical sentiment, but good lord, is it catnip for you? Because it so thoroughly embodies what we now know is the entire purpose of the show. The entire yeah, purpose absolutely. of the plot. Yeah. yeah it, 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 for somebody who, like myself, who this episode resonated and worked so well with, that line is obviously going to nail. Now, if you're, you're kind of out on the episode and the storytelling and think that this whole like, oh, we have to like fix the future is a little hokey, you might, you might dislike the line. But for me, I was, so, I was bought in enough that it, it slammed home with me. It, it works for me. I think it is the best line of the episode. I think it's an important line of the episode. And again, I like Penance as a character. I'm just frustrated with what they do with her. And I like this kind of philosophy she brings to bear. And I am sticking to my theory that this is a revealing moment for who may actually be the real leader of their cause. Okay. Who wins the episode? We're going <laughs> to best character arc. Who wins the episode? Who's at the top of our power rankings this week? Spencer, who'd you, who'd you pick? Do we have anything other than one choice here? <laughs> So it's Amalia, right? It's got to be Amalia. It's hard to pick somebody else in this episode. All right, so you're picking Amalia. I think that's a very obvious pick. Go ahead. I mean, it's either, in my mind, the two I had written down as being this potential were Amalia and Augustus. I think Augustus is a, is a good winner. I think you got to throw Sarah slash Malady in there, too, as moving up the power rankings, only because, you know, I, I know it's not, you're not, you're not all, I can tell in your face, you've not all, overnight become a Malady fan. But, I'm not gonna. Yeah, that's fair. But it does give some, some background and context to some of the way that she's interacting with Amalia that I found both interesting and justifies some of her, just some of her limited behavior with Amalia. Just sure. that I, I, I will give her maybe the ranking for most improved as a result of this episode. There you go. Most improved player this week is Sarah. Um, I, I think that's okay. fair. Uh, not, not even in the top five of an episode where we barely have five characters. Could she you know, win the episode though? Uh, I also like Augustus. I think that's another good call because he showed these achievement. Augustus will show up and punch you in the face if he's got to, and that is something I did not know that character had in him. My, my, what well, my, was did have been my runner-up. I had those picked as the ones if you picked one or the other. Um, cousins, because now we know that he's been front and center for this yep. plot earlier than anybody else. And you know when he's when he's hooking up with Amalia, he knows what he's doing. He knows her story. He knows the whole thing. Um, it's not. Um, what I, I thought it was before. What I thought it was before is Amalia was this like space alien thing or whatever mm -hmm. she was, which we ended up not knowing now. And Horatio was just sort of along with the ride with the pretty girl. Yeah. No, that's not it at all. It's deeper than that. Yeah, it wasn't just the world-class tits. He knows all about this character. <laughs> all right. Who gets the booby prize this week? Worst character arc. 
You went first with with best character arc, so I'm going to go first Please. with worst character arc this week. Oh, this is a tough one. I think I'm going to give it mm-hmm. to Dr. Edmund Haig. It works, you know, you, but you know we what, don't you, you get ever, much. You ever heard the phrase scene stealer? Yeah. He's a like scene. Somebody, he's, he's the a, opposite. He's a scene seller? He's the opposite of a scene stealer. He mm-hmm. is, you know, you have this idea that like somebody in a supporting role, when they show up, you know, you crank up the interest because they just knock it out of the park with the limited dialogue they have. This character, I'm not really blaming the actor. I'm blaming like how they wrote the character. I bored tears when he comes around. Don't care mm-hmm. about Dr. Edmund Higgs. He's the opposite of a scene stealer. He is the bottom of my power rankings this week. I'll admit it's a bit of a cheap call because he's such a big character. But I, we don't really have a lot of big losers this episode, I didn't feel like. No. I mean, <laughs> Penance had some rough moments just in terms of her overall character arc that I didn't like. But she also had some really great moments. And this is framing that she may actually be the real main character of the damn series. I can't pick her. Maybe. Well, you, in, you've already... Uh, uh, now she's our knitter. She's our, our... I know. I can't pick her now. I, I put myself in a box when it came to that. 19th century knitter. It, it, it's very <laughs> possible. Spore. You know, it's a weird one to say, but I might pick... Um, Molly when it comes to it of where though the, the entire purpose of her arc was just to appear sad and give us sympathy for oh, the character I'm jealous of that pick I'm so jealous because I, I was talking about how shit that whole plot was the whole yeah, time yeah I know oh, I'm so jealous of that pick I, so that's the one I'm going with not because Laura Donnelly doesn't do well god she's a wonderful actress she does so great with this not yeah. because not it's not effective it makes us feel sympathetic for the character but that's the only role she has in the story is for us to and just feel matter. sad for her and then to disappear. We're never going to see her again. She's never going to have another role. She's dead. She died in a river. And that's done. It it was a it, it was a weird purpose. It's an effective enough scene, but what why they had, had to spend so much time with it given its utter irrelevance going forward? Don't know. Shit. God, I'm jealous of that pick. All right, I'm I'm switching my pick. No, you're your done. It, Laura, yeah, Molly is the uh, is the right pick for worst character arc because it it goes nowhere. It does nothing. It's just sort of a waste of time. If you know you're you're talking about the overall plot and where everything yeah. is going, I mean it's kind of a, just a waste of time, which I talked about as we as we went through. The and she didn't finish the race. She the the horse. It's essentially one of those moments where the horse died before it crossed the finish line. It's done. It's out. It has no further relevance. It seems. Yeah, there's we're not. A, we're not in a situation where there's a little bit of Molly still there. No, yeah, it's we're, just striping the body. Molly's dead. Yeah, we're never going to ponder the whole consent issues with respect to. Oh my God, she's in, she's taking over someone's body. Is there some consent issue that you know the other person's will is being suppressed? No, the body they're clearly saying was empty. This is a corpse. That has been reanimated. That character is done and gone. We got to see a brief sad backstory for why this vessel or husk appeared available. Yep, I agree with you. Okay, do you want to go to theory time? You kind of hit theory. I've offered we my I've offered my theory. I'm curious to hear yours. I don't really. I mean, I, I think we kind of we had them as we went. I don't really have a, another theory for you this week. I think that um, I'm gonna let you lead the theory time segment with the theory that penance is actually a sport. I think we should we should take that one as a show and and make that the the number one theory for the week. I like it a lot, and it uh, explains a lot about the differences between penance and the the other touched. And it also explains why we got why they took such a 
such pains to draw the distinction between Spore and what what Amalia was seeing with the right. touched. And so seeing her serve as this kind of inspirational figure, hear her consistently talk about, you know, changing things, making things better, overcoming the, the villains of our nature, and seeing her have this weird, frustrating, constantly pissing me off ability of just natural understanding of advanced technology shit, which never made any sense. Now they've given us a possible explanation for that, some possible justification for how she just makes world-changing artifacts. So... Okay. This is my theory. This is what I offer. I think it's a good one to wrap wrap up our theory crafting for this half of the season. I agree. Uh, side theory: uh, the way that they're going to fix the world is she already invented a Tesla. So <laughs> greenhouse gas emissions, whoop, way down, way the, down. The way they the way they're going to fix the world, they're going to say that oh, the world's broken, and she makes a device that fixes it. Done, yeah. and it breaks immediately after they use it, but it's but still then it works, works later. Yeah, yeah then yeah. it works later. Also, uh, okay. also by ahead. the way, City of London, totally fucked because she's still got a device that's drilling down into the mantle of the earth. She's going to accidentally make a volcano start in season two. Maybe. Uh, that's it. I think that's probably in play. And she, oh, fucking prototype. Oh, we, dear. Cut to the bad credits. I can you're, see it happening now. You're gonna, I'm going to call it now. You're going to get at least seven more bad prototypes next half of the season. Fucking prototype. We'll get that line seven <laughs> more times. All right. Okay. See, season rating. I'm curious to hear it from you. Yep. Season rating. This is the first six episodes of the Never. What is my rating? I'm gonna give it a solid B plus from me. Solid rating. Solid rating. Better than I thought you would have been going into this episode. This episode really vaulted it up for me. It it, it made hay right out of the, out of the previous episodes. It, that now those feel earned. Now I can go back and rewatch them, and it all kind of. I love a show. I am. It's you talk about catnip for me. Mm. I love a show that gives you crap that seems to not make a lot of sense. They explain it later, and then you go back and rewatch, and it's all super consistent based on what you know. Now that I love, and I'm actually with you in loving that kind of show or that kind of medium or that kind of book. Being N.K. Jameson's Broken Earth series does that all the damn time, and I adore it there. The other thing I haven't read. The list continues to grow, so we'll get you there. But it didn't work for me as well here, but this episode did improve my overall opinion of the show. I'm going to give it just on that kind of little cusp between a C plus, B minus kind of area. Of where 79. It the, the, it raised it almost up to the level that I liked this episode the rest, the rest of the show. Still have some frustrations, still have some difficulties, still have some issues that I hope they change or alter going forward. But... For me, as you well know, solid rating, enjoying the show, curious where it goes next. Okay. All right. That is it. That wraps up our coverage of the first half of season one of The Nevers here on The Nevers More Podcast. Spencer, anything else you want to add before we, we, we kick it off? <laughs> Offer your theory, sir, when we get in the second half of the season, because they have still not announced it. Very unclear. We do not know when we're going to get it. Now, one thing we like to do on our podcast feeds, if you're a new listener to Mangum Talks podcast, is if we get significant news about the series, we will jump on and do a reaction pod. So if we get, let's say they say we're not getting the back half of season two until 2022. That, to me, would be surprising. Um, and we would jump on and do a bit of a reaction pod. So you'll get our thoughts on any news with the show as we go right now. We just don't have it for you. We don't know when we're getting new episodes. It is my understanding through what I've read. It's not perfect intel, but what I've read, it, it does seem like we are at least guaranteed the next six episodes. They have not picked it up for season two yet. So I think we're getting the next six episodes at some point. We just don't know the date yet. 
Well, it's gotten HBO big numbers, numbers that they were bragging about, at least for the first episode. They haven't really said the, the numbers since, but presuming that they're still solid, they've got a new show that they can do things with that people are willing to watch and enjoy. So it seems like they'd invest in that, but I think they were caught off guard with the subject of losing the uh, showrunner for reasons of his own damn fault. As we've talked about in other shows, it seems like HBO invests a lot in the idea of this is the person that's going to run the show and all of my plans are built around that idea. And if that ever starts to go south, they don't really know what to do with that next. Yeah, but one thing is clear. They don't want to scrap the show because Joss Whedon's gone. They're going to keep the show going. So we are going to get the next six episodes. We don't know when. If we get significant news, we'll jump on this podcast. Absolutely. We'll give you a reaction pod. We'll give you the news. But until then, folks, we have really enjoyed doing this podcast with you. We have enjoyed going week by week with the Nevers with you, learning with you, revealing with you, theorizing with you. It's all been great. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear me and Spencer gab about something else, we have another podcast that we're jumping to, The Lasso Lowdown, where we go through Apple Plus's series, Ted Lasso. So feel free to jump on that podcast feed and listen to us. If you don't, totally cool. We'll catch you when this pod, when this series resumes uh, and we pick up new episodes of the podcast here on the Nevers More Podcast. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time.